0: i
1: This is The New Right, a podcast for the Lost Arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas.
2: And this is Dan Baltic.
1: And we are here today with a guest that I, uh, I think Dan as well, we've both been wanting to bring on for a long, long time. Brendan Luso uh, I would say formerly known as Gorgonzola Man, but I feel like maybe that's <laughs> a dated reference at this point. I first came to know you online as Gorgonzola Man, uh, but I, you've been Brendan Luso for two, three years now, right?
3: Well, <clears throat> yeah. Well, I'm, um, you know, I'm Luso Brendan. It's it's just a reference to my uh, my Lusophone heritage. I'm Portuguese. Right. But, oh, right. Um, but my name is Brendan Macaulay. You can call me that.
1: Oh, OK. Yeah. A fellow <laughs> Irishman here. Yeah. 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 Right. Excellent. Well, um, well, well, just
3: Brendan. let me let me let me interrupt you. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. Oh, I, no. This well, is a thank pleasure you for coming on. I yeah. am a big fan of what you guys do. I'm especially a big fan of these last couple of episodes. You've had some guys that I really respect a lot, who are my colleagues at Apocalypse Confidential, and so um, yeah, you know, it's kind absolutely. of um,
1: an unplanned thing. But I, I think it kind of, kind of cool in a way that the lot. This is you're our third guest in a row that's affiliated with Apocalypse Confidential. Um, it wasn't planned that we were going to start 2023 off by doing an intensive <laughs> investigation of the Apocalypse Confidential scene. However, uh, things were, you know, uh, perhaps, perhaps not everything happens for a reason. Perhaps, but perhaps there's some, uh, so, some, some hidden, hidden, hidden meaning to this. I, I don't know. But um, you know, Brendan is, um, for anyone who doesn't know, Brendan is a longtime podcaster, kind of a fixture in what. I hate these labels and whatever, but, you know, the weird right scene that we kind of talked about in our last episode with Jacob, um, Brendan is kind of almost like a, almost like a founding member of member of, or, or a very, you know, deep seated, uh, figurehead within. Um, he is the host of tales from the mall. Um, he is a frequent as, as Dan has described himself, a frequent, uh, contributor to twitter.com, um, <laughs> a, a poster and a podcaster, uh, and someone who has, uh, his hand in a lot of different things. I definitely first came across you through the many wonderful Perfume Nationalist um, guest appearances uh, that you've made, co-host appearances that you've made, uh, but but you've been doing a lot of work. And one of the main things that we're going to talk about today is uh, your, how would you describe it, a radio drama? I mean, it's not radio, it's a podcast. Podcast drama, The Isolation Chamber, which um, which I'm not just saying this because we've we, we you know, listened to it and, and want to support our guests, but it is fantastic. Uh, it is a absolutely of literature um, every bit as much as as the books we cover, um, and everyone should check it out. Uh, it's uh, about twelve episodes. Uh, you can you you'll get into it fast, and we'll talk more about it. But uh, Brendan is all yes,
3: yeah, yeah. I I don't shy from the term radio drama. In fact, yeah, I, I I think I was calling it an audio drama for a while, but to me that just sounded um. You know, like like when you refer to your girlfriend as your partner. Yeah, you yeah, know? I hear you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just straight up radio drama. It happens to be available on a, a podcast, but I mean, it's just an old school radio drama. So
1: absolutely, and it, that's the aesthetic of it. I think it's important. Well, uh, yeah, I think it's it's good to call it a radio drama because it gives you some idea of the genre. If you're calling it an audio drama or a podcast drama, your head starts to go elsewhere. But this is very much within that radio drama genre um i remember growing up i actually used to listen to the radio before the internet before i had the internet and i would occasionally be like skimming around uh you know the i guess the probably the am dial but sometimes the fm dial and every once in a while not that radio dramas you know i'm a millennial not that they were like a huge part of my childhood but every so often you'd come across something uh that sounded a little bit like um a little bit like the isolation chamber and the, the isolation chamber is a bit trippy as we'll get into, you know, there's some very sort of psychedelic uh, and random aspects to it in a wonderful way. But, uh, but what's interesting is I remember the kind of the aesthetic of that, like it's, it's uh, sometimes, and I mean, I do mean this in a positive way. Like sometimes when you're, when you, as a kid, when I would come across those like weird at- AM radio type things, it would, it would feel like the isolation chamber, it would, it would have that sort of random psychedelic element. Cause you're hopping into a story midway, um and and i just remember just thinking like what the fuck is this like i listened to that as a kid and the isolation chamber uh i think does that to you too but in a more intentional way where where there's a surreal element to it and um uh all that is to say you know it radio drama i think gives some idea of of what this is
3: well you know radio storytelling is often referred to as uh you know the theater of the mind yeah that's kind of That's a psychedelic phrase. It's kind of unavoidable when you're doing when you're when you're trying to create images with sound, you know. And uh, and so that was something that I wanted to embrace, you know. The the whole idea of um, it taking place in a sense, you know, of of portions of it taking place in a sensory deprivation tank Mm -hmm. are actually inspired by, um, you know, this kind of uh, psychedelic film that i really like called altered states oh i've uh, heard of that which is about a researcher who begins investigating sensory deprivation and then he comes across this kind of ayahuasca like substance while he's uh you know doing some research in like central america or mexico or something like that and then he starts injecting himself with that drug and going in the sensory deprivation tank and then it kind of turns him into a um You know, it's and then it kind of turns into like a werewolf story after that because it's because the drug is altering him at like a genetic level. So, yeah.
2: Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
3: And so, you know, I am um, somebody who has used the sensory deprivation tank as a Mm -hmm. way to actually relax and unplug and have not had many visionary experience. You know, it's not it's not a psychedelic thing when I do it some people say that they have visions and stuff like that um but uh, <laughs> yeah. but but it is like a way of in- i feel like the isolation chamber is a is a, a metaphor for a lot of different things what we went what we experienced as people when we were in our lonely par- yeah. apartments yeah. during covid but also the the mindset that we have to enter in order to become more creative to, to do, to do Mm -hmm. the creative work that we do.
2: Absolutely. And so to be clear, you actually have been in an isolation chamber. This is a, a, uh, you know, uh, medicinal or whatever practice that you uh, occasionally do.
3: Yeah. Dozens of times. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. There's a, there's a, there's a place here in Tempe um, and they call it a float spa because you you, you basically get in what looks like a little spaceship and you lie down in, salt water because nice. so you float on top of salt water in darkness and um, you know for an hour or two if you want and basically it just takes all the pressure off of your body hmm. you don't you know because you don't have any stimulus it takes pressure off of your eyes and mind and you kind of enter this like relaxed state and and it's good for your back you know all your you know athletes use it to recover from you know from from stress and strain but people also use it just for like meditation and visualization and things it's it's something that joe rogan has talked a lot about oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I and i think that. he probably has one at his house and he probably like gets high as fuck and you know goes in there and practices oh, jamie moves. fire up
2: the isolation chamber <laughs> yeah yeah you know and <laughs> he
3: like practices jujitsu moves in his mind or whatever but <laughs> um it's it's really it's yeah. it, at, at its base level it's just a way of relaxing. It's just a, it's just a meditation. Okay. Know, it uh, to to me, to
2: that. had some real corollaries to, um, as you describe it, he starts to hallucinate and he starts to, uh, in, in part aided by pills that he's given. And we'll, we'll get into this more later, <laughs> but it has uh, psychedelic uh, elements, these, uh, isolation chamber trips. And for me that there is a real corollary to, uh, psychedelic trips that, uh, that I have had. And it it felt very, um, very similar, but we'll we'll get into that more uh, more later. I noticed in the notes that you you did want to kind of foreground Tales from the Mall a bit. Maybe um, we kind of like shift gears, hit Tales from the Mall and then get more deeply into Isolation Chamber.
3: I, I think that's a wise idea just because I don't I don't want to you know tales from the mall is where you know i make daddy makes the big bucks you know and so i don't (laughs) i don't want that to get lost in the shuffle the isolation chamber is free for all to to listen to and enjoy and i agree there's a lot to explore tales from the mall is a talk show um that i you know have have done for a well, well over a year now and uh, and you can subscribe to it on Patreon.com/slash Tales from the Mall, and there's an archive of like 90 different episodes with some really amazing people—people people that Absolutely. your listeners would be familiar with, people yeah, that definitely. you've had on your show. Like uh, Howling Mutant has been on a number of times, mm-hmm. and um, you know, del- guys like Delicious Tacos. Oh, I didn't P- know
2: Tacos was on. That's cool. Yeah, um, yes, Sam
3: Pink. Know. Um, more recently, um, you know, we've had some, some, you know, and I've had all the whole, uh, Apocalypse Confidential crew, uh, on there recently, I had Tom Will, he's our poetry editor on there. And one and of his only episodes... pod
2: appearances from what I know, mean, cause we, uh, invited him on yeah. New right and he says he doesn't do pods. I believe him, but I think well, you, uh, you brought him out of his shell there. <laughs>
3: well, you know, I only had to beg him a hundred times, you know, like, um, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, you know, all new episodes now are subscribers only. So if you go to patreon.com slash Tales from the Mall, what you're getting is a recorded phone conversation where I'm at the mall walking around and talking to some of these, like anywhere, anything from creative people who are writers and artists to e-girls to random friends of mine so it's it's kind of a... yeah no
1: I, i've listened to, to a chunk of it i would like i would like to do the uh you know jack from the perfume nationalist thing of actually listening to all of it but i think i've heard maybe the first dozen or so episodes and i, I should catch up it's a great podcast it's a great concept um not to be this guy, but you know me, me, me and Dan should come on sometime perhaps yeah no invite uh, ourselves yeah, on. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> not yeah. to invite ourselves on but uh but i i' I've, I've long been a fan as I'm trying well, to say it. And, um I think it's a great great pod yeah
3: i I would love to have you guys on in fact, I the whole i idea that I have is that you know sometimes you go on some of these podcasts and like the idea is to like talk about david cronenberg for three hours or whatever you know which <laughs> yeah is great but i wanted to give people an opportunity to talk about themselves or whatever they wanted to talk about and that it's like kind of like for the guests you know
1: yeah well that's one of the things i really like about your work is i think that you're just in general like definitely tales from the mall uh, isolation chamber in a different way even your. Twitter presence, um, you know, you, you seem to be. It's, it's kind of this weird, quote unquote, weird right thing we talked about with Jacob. But like, it's not about politics. It's not even about like art, uh, in in, a, in an official sense. It's um, it's very much like about ah, uh, it's, it's hard to say this without sounding uh, you know, kind of kind of like a, a
3: vibes speaker, by any chance.
1: Vibes and and self expression, you know, uh, in, in a in a very real sense of like um, b- being vulnerable. Uh, but you know, just like really. Really showing people what, what you're all about, which in an anonymous uh, Twitter ecosphere, which I'm not against, you know, anon- people to choose their own levels of anonymity. But I think that's one of the things that makes your work really stand out is um, is it really foregrounds that uh, element of of vulnerability and not just vulnerability in like an emo way, but like vulnerability in like, uh, you know, making art out of this kind of way. Uh, it's something that you embody, but also bring out of your guests, for sure.
3: Well. You know, it's interesting that you use that word vulnerability because I think about it that way as well. And it's funny because, um, you know, I think that I I suspect strongly that a lot of people um, have doubts and reservations about their um, about their worth, about what they're capable of, about if anybody even fucking cares if they have anything to say you mm-hmm. know we we exist in in an age where there's like a cacophony of voices and projects and things like that and yeah. i just want to open myself up and say hey look i have i i have sometimes i feel inadequate mm-hmm. sometimes i have doubts etc but then people will come back and say like this guy is neurotic he's um uh you know insecure and i say well hey look i just admit i admitted to those things that doesn't mean that i'm spe- that i'm especially that way you know what i mean yeah,
1: no i i think so people yeah.
3: take advantage of that it's like well maybe you should open up you know your, yeah. your yourself to anybody who has ears to listen
2: absolutely. absolutely and i mean that was one of my takeaways from uh i mean we'll talk about it more isolation chamber But like, I mean, yes, it is to some extent a work of fiction, but I mean, like you, there is a protagonist named Brendan and (laughs) you, uh, you do kind of like go into these kind of like very, um, and yes, I'm sure some of it is fiction, but personal things regarding self-worth, self-doubt. And frankly, you know, maybe I even catch flack for this, but, um, I think on our side of the internet, especially the more, um. Frog twitter like side yeah. there's a kind of real like hard nose like we're men we don't talk about our feelings we don't and you know but i mean the truth and there is something to be said for that there's of course you know being stoic and what have you but um i mean it, it's not like you, we don't have feelings we don't uh, have these and they it can be enlightening and fun to talk about sometimes Unnecessary,
3: I suppose.
1: necessary yeah. It's, it's necessary to sometimes talk about this stuff before before becoming stoic, quote unquote. You know.
3: Well, it, yeah. you know, yeah. I guess I would ask. Here's what the question that I would ask, to paraphrase Langston Hughes, is, uh, you know, what happens? He asks, "What happens to a dream deferred?" I would mm-hmm. ask, "Well, what happens to an insecurity deferred?" Does it? Yeah. And, he's, and then he says, "What does it dry up?" like a raisin in the sun or does it explode and i think that if you know if you don't yeah. have somewhere to put that shit you're gonna act like a you're gonna act like a psycho Damn. um mm-hmm. that by the way <laughs> uh the 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 protagonist of your book dan <laughs> who by the way you encapsulate so many um different strains of thought that are going through his head there's a lot of i feel like there's a lot he's experiencing a confusion of of influences but the poor bastard the poor bastard um you know he ends up spontaneously crying on like four different occasions
4: (laughs) or something like that
3: you know that could very well you know i think that um there there's there's a strength and courage To just kind of announce who you are, at least to very, at the very least, announce who you are. You know,
2: absolutely, yeah. It's like, like as you say, it's an insecurity that is deferred is it doesn't necessarily explode, it can, but like the way I would think of it is it kind of like hardens. And so it's like, there's a rock in your shoe and you kind Mm -hmm. of like walk with a limp because of it, or you kind of like work, try to work around it. And, you know, sometimes there's some things that you obviously will, will have to work around. And like Spencer, yeah, there's some issues that like he will, you know, if he were psychologically healthy, he would be acknowledging and trying to work around. But if you don't even like really know that they're there and you just try to put them out of your mind, your whole personality will be formed around kind of mitigating them. And that's, um, you know, very often not a fun person to be
3: around. I would have to agree. (laughs) Yeah, um, I used to have this. um, I used to have this basketball coach um, when I was a kid. And he was the dad of one of the, one of my, the kids who were also on the team. And my God, the guy, the guy seemed like he was going to have a heart attack. Um, (laughs) And I think, I think that the issue was for him was that he didn't have um, a lot of uh, control over what happened in his life. And, um, and so when, uh, you know, our absolutely atrocious YMCA basketball team would play, he would just let out all of his frustration then and there. Um, and his face would turn all red. And you know, he, I, I think, you yeah. know, to, he thought he might have been, I think he thought he was like Mike Ditka, but um, I don't know. You just that made is, me think uh, it.
1: I had a coach like that, a basketball coach like that as a kid, too. Um, not that it's that remarkable, but yeah, no, it's funny you bring that up. Uh, because I was just thinking about that yesterday, because I've been thinking a lot about, and we'll get more into this on the isolation chamber. I've been thinking, you know, I meditate. I think we all need like practices to uh, sort of relax. And I've been thinking about that, like how I should probably have more of those in my life. And for some reason, and it's just kind of funny that you brought this up, because for some reason I was thinking about like my coach when I was like nine, again, father of one of the kids on the team. And I remember him just like blowing his top at like a bunch of nine-year-olds. And I was thinking, what was going on in his life? <laughs> like wh- why would he do that um but basically i had the, the exact same experience as you i think there are men um there are men who 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 like don't have an outlet um, more so men than women I, I imagine who who don't like have an outlet to express that frustration it ends up coming out in weird ways like uh, as you said uh, what happens to it i guess an insecurity deferred or like a, or any negative emotion deferred and it, it'll come out in bad ways. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine screaming at like my nine-year-old kid on the weekend that I'm trying to coach his <laughs> basketball. But yeah, it was like a thing. I don't know. Weird.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I hope that doesn't happen to me. You know, I, I do like sports. Well, yeah. I do like sports a lot. That's good. Yeah. Um, What kind of meditation do you do?
1: Uh, I hate to even be this guy, but I do transcendental meditation. No, I, I don't. I don't hate to be that guy. But yes, I do like the David Lynch TM. So thing. you do a
3: like there's a Sanskrit mantra that you're repeating. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, okay. Go ahead. Ask. Yeah, I'm curious. I,
3: I, I tried doing transcendental meditation. I thought it was very useful, but I was very uncomfortable with the Sanskrit mantra.
1: Yeah, because... I think a lot of people are, but it feels un- unnatural and organic.
3: Well, I just thought, well, what am I some, you know, like. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, you know I'm I'm am I'm a Christian, okay, yeah. and um and so I didn't want to like step out on on um my God, so yeah, yeah <laughs> I was a little of, worried about that, some but uh,
1: or something, yeah.
3: But I also uh you know you just I, the thing is is that I think the Maharishi was a little bit cagey about. He was like, oh, the San- you got the you got to do the Sanskrit mantra. Uh, it's just a way of using a phrase that has no meaning to you right but it's not it's not doing you know it, it doesn't have any religious connotations yeah. and i think that was a way of you know attracting secular followers yeah.
1: oh the yeah, go, on, go on go on but
3: i think that that it's been said by like people who are more familiar with vedic religion and hinduism and stuff that it's like well actually this refers to a you know a vedic deity you know this yeah. mantra or whatever which that's there's no problem with that it's just that that some see. people i think yeah. were like well he's not telling the truth about what this
1: this is a topic i could talk on i don't know maybe we will because it's not irrelevant to the isolation chamber it's something i've been thinking about a little bit i wrote i wrote about transcendental meditation and, and david lynch and some other topics on my sub stack uh not too long ago um and in my next book i will republish those essays but it, it's something that i again i have been thinking about it um and you know what I say about TM, like, um, it just kind of made sense as like a meditation practice for me to take up, um, because there's a simplicity to it. I didn't want to like get, I didn't have like the time to like get involved with anything too, too much more intense than that. Where you're like learning some 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 intense meditation ritual. Like I like the simplicity of it. I like the practice of doing it twice, uh, twenty minutes twice a day. However, um, I'm not necessarily like a true believer in. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi uh, who's the founder of TM for those who don't know um or or just a lot of the other kind of promises of the TM organization I've never had like a truly like psychedelic trip type well maybe that's overstating it but some people really say like I do this and it's like the isolation chamber like I I visualize I complete like it's like not ego death but like approaching that including David Lynch who I respect and admire a lot Um, I think it has different effects on different people for me I keep doing it um because I, because it is just a convenient practice and I do think it's benefited me um but I'm not like a, a true proselytizer so to speak as to the issue of the the Vedic of uh, uh, the the like the possibly religious element I've heard that too I haven't looked into it too much doesn't scare me too much but I think you're right that there could be with the figure of Maharishi himself uh there could be some uh dissembling people have accused him of being a fraud in other ways too. Well- uh, including John Lennon which the Beatles be
3: sure. well yeah well that that song Sexy Sadie what have you oh, done yeah. you made a fool of everyone the original lyrics were Maharishi what have you done exactly. you <laughs> yeah. Um uh, no it's I, true You're I on. had a girlfriend I had a girlfriend whose parents were evangelical Christians and they met because they were both tmers and in fact the her mom uh, had gone to the Maharishi University in Iowa yeah. as for college. Oh, wow. And then they renounced TM and became evangelical Christians, born again Christians as for David. Okay. But I will say this. And I'm somebody who's practiced mindfulness, like studied mindfulness, yeah, which is hard as hell and not. Well, that's that's and,
2: what I do, by the way. I do mindfulness uh, only five minutes a day. But, yeah,
3: I, I think I think that mindfulness can be can be somewhat, you know, it's it it's a discipline yeah. and mantra meditation puts you in a relaxed state. You, I mean, you just kind of just got to hum that little mantra in your head and the rest does the work. You relax yeah. your body and mind. It's I find I found it much easier. Mindfulness, I got my mind expanded more. I think at times, you know, after, but you know, you'd have to do a thirty-minute meditation because I mean, to to to, you got so much shit stirring around in there. the atmosphere of your consciousness. You, you become aware of how much is going on when you do mindfulness.
1: Yeah, I should yeah, try towards, work, towards perhaps um, the end I, of it. I, Yeah, go on. Uh, on.
2: Toward, you know, as you you do kind of like mindful, you're trying to not explicitly not think of any thoughts and just feel, you know, or whatever, however you do it, like I think of like, try to focus on my breathing. And I find that as time goes on, like you learn that it's not about banishing all thought from your head. It's about kind of learning to let those thoughts kind of glide over your consciousness and not engage with them. So like, you know, toward the, it's only five minutes every morning, but toward the end of that five minutes, I'm just conscious of the fact that like, I'm primarily paying attention to my breathing, but secondarily, um, yeah, there's like thoughts that are kind of like passing through, but like almost like images, not really. And like, it's, I, I find it's very useful or it has been a very useful practice for me to understand that you can disengage from the kind of constant chasing of thoughts and of um you know uh desires and thinking yeah. processes
3: yes so
1: definitely in theory with TM2 there's an element of that where you're not supposed to chase your thoughts away at all you're just supposed to kind of acknowledge them and and not give them as much power so to speak but but yeah no it's it's an interesting topic I I think that as you said Brendan like um I think that the, the the best thing I'll say about TM is, is the, is the ease of it. It's something that you can easily get into a practice of doing. Cause like for me, other habits like that, it's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get in the habit if it's too hard. Like it's just not going to happen. So a
3: hundred percent. And, yeah. and I'm, and I just want to make it very clear that I'm not busting your balls for oh, no. doing TM in any way.
1: No, 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 no. I know. Mm-hmm. I, I realize that. Um, I know, no, my, my relationship with, with uh, I'm not like, again, I'm not like one of those true proselytizer types uh it's something I kind of more just explore I and I just to comment one last comment on the the Maharishi uh Beatles thing to me is I don't know just very interesting and then that uh, I I I get all weird and esoteric about this but like the fact that they made that song um sexy Sadie which was Maharishi and then George Harrison requested a John lennon change it. and then one of the Manson girls like named herself after that song like to me that's like whoa like what's going on there like you talk about you know uh, i don't think there's anything evil going on or anything but like it's it's kind of it's kind of kind of interesting to me that it had that spiritual source and there was that renunciation of that and then it had that weird effect anyway i'm writing um not to not to grift here not grift, but you know not this i'm writing a new book um as as some some of uh followers of this pod know and i write a little bit of i read a good amount about meditation Uh, And I I even write a little bit about this Beatles uh, Maharishi thing, because I think it's... Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm looking
2: forward to reading that chapter.
1: Yeah. It's a very good book, Matt's writing.
3: Well, what the hell happened there? I mean, like, um, what was their issue with...
1: Allegedly, um, Maharishi had made some kind of um, sexual advance on Mia Farrow, of all people, who was also at the ashram.
3: Hey, who didn't,
1: you know? What's that?
3: I said, who didn't?
1: Right, exactly. And John Lennon was like, "Oh, he if he's so enlightened, like why is he like horny?" I That's think it's I'm not an expert on it. That's a fair question. Like that.
3: You you um, read about this. You 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 can read about this with various gurus from various traditions. A oh, lot of them are, are perverts. There's no. It's doubt like what well, they have like these sex things, and I mean, it's just hard. I, I find that 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 if if you are if you are trying to experience spirituality and um get rid of your you know Buddhism or whatever they make refer to them as like attachments or whatever mm-hmm. like lust is the hardest to overcome
1: definitely yeah yeah in fact it,
3: I mean that has been my biggest obstacle to experiencing religion is
1: yeah, trying to not. be
3: moral you know sexually.
1: Yeah, well, Christ, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, for, for me too, in a way, um, like, yeah, it, it's it's definitely the most, especially well, the, you know, pornography and all that's another another topic, but you know, it's it's so pervasive online. Obviously, it's it's very hard to be kind of continent with regard to that. Um, but in terms of the Maharishi Beatles thing, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not, an, I'm sure there's someone who's written about it more extensively. I do know um, in defense of of TM and Maharishi, uh, like uh george harrison uh, maybe ringo and definitely paul mccartney have also all sort of like um reconciled with him later and maybe became friends again and i think paul mccartney like still does tm so it's not a totally negative review from the beatles but the john lennon thing is interesting because i think a he was reacting against um the the sort of sexuality thing uh but also um this is kind of apropos of nothing but it's it's just something i've been thinking about and maybe it's not completely unrelated to the themes of isolation chamber etc you know this is later if you've heard the song um god by john lennon where he's like talking yes. about he doesn't believe in he's also i just think very much like that that became his thing in like the 70s is that he rejected pretty much all spiritualism um which i don't agree with i'm not you know, I, I once almost tweeted like I, I, I believe in everything that John Lennon says he doesn't believe in in the song God, which as people know <laughs> you, case, so you do believe in Beatles. Uh, I suppose so, but also Elvis <laughs> and uh you know, I won't even name yeah. anyway. Um not to go on a tangent, but yeah, it just it's just interesting no. to me that I think he he had that like atheistic experience of it and and rejected it. And it's I can understand coming up through the sixties and we are just want saying, Screw all this, it's just me and my uh Wife, which is essentially what he ended up saying. But yeah,
3: well, you know, I think, um, I think from where he was sitting or whatever, you know, like so many things were coming at him. And, um, and you know, I mean, I can understand him like wanting to just kind of like get a clear head. You know, sometimes you have to reject a lot of shit just to get a clear head. And like, uh, and I have to do this a hundred times a day where I'm just like, fuck everything. But, um, I was recently watching the, um, Cause you know I'm I'm, I'm ultimately you know I, I said I was a Christian you know I, I'm also like you know I'm I've been like a New ager. I love you know I've loved studying like chakras and
4: yeah
3: crystals yeah. and fucking you know hypnosis and just like everything you can think of um tarot like all that stuff oh and, yeah. Um, yeah and 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 um but and plus you know like different side you know like psychology you know i I've, I've had a relationship with lsd uh you know all these things i was watching this aaron Rodgers interview because you know aaron rogers is in the yeah. news and and he's kind of a head and he likes new age shit and he's kind of like a based hippie or whatever you know yeah and he was doing an interview with this guy aubrey marcus who's kind of like i, I call him a joe rogan wannabe but he may be actually like the puppet master of Joe Rogan. And, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and and he was talking about going on the darkness retreat and they talk about ayahuasca and something was irritating me about it, even though I'm like, you know, like kind of a fan of, of, of that stuff. And Aaron Rodgers yeah. in particular. And I thought, you know what, you know, what irritates me about this is that it's not can, that they're talking about all of these things to embrace the self better
1: yeah detached oh, from a higher yeah. power yeah.
3: and it seems really like at worst narcissistic i know that's a term that we use a lot um uh you know but it just just kind of selfish and um and so
1: oh yeah you know, definitely that is the it,
3: it kind of made me rethink my relationship with some of these things
2: yeah, yeah no i, I mean, mean there's with psychedelics there's definitely the kind of like drive to be like I'm going to try them all and I'm going to maybe this one will help me more in this way. And that one will help me more in that way. And it, it becomes a sort of thing where you're like trying to, you know, maximize your enlightenment, which is of course not the end. like, I know people approach meditation this way too. Uh, and they, you know, excoriate themselves for it rightly. So it's not about like, you know, I'm going to be the most enlightened <laughs> person. It's, uh, you know, the, like, you can't do ego death without, you know, giving up a bit of your ego. And that, you know, that is very much the point oh. with uh, a number of these psychedelic experiences. At least um, it, it was for me. Uh, I don't know about you, Brendan.
3: Well, I, I mean, I, I experienced ego death and, um, and it was just like a very traumatic, like, like a, you know, I, I, Talk about this a lot on my show, but you know, like I had an experience with LSD that you know just basically changed my life uh, in in a bad, you know, at first a bad way, you know, where it was just like really, I kind of just had a nervous breakdown. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I was I was not the same after that, and um, I don't know why you know why that why I experienced it that way, and other people kind of come out on the other side, you know, like maybe I my ego is so resistant to it that you know it it had it, its defenses were to be scared and all that stuff but um i i think when you're talking about enlightenment and all these things that they do it's really just at at its core it's just like i want to feel good i want to feel better i yeah. want to feel yeah. bliss they use the term bliss which has these kinds of like spiritual trappings but really what you're talking about is un ending pleasure and no pain you know <laughs> it's really not that uh, complicated or high minded i would argue which there's okay, by yeah. the way there's nothing wrong with wanting
1: no but suffering is
3: painful yeah,
1: yeah yeah it's pitfall this is actually a really interesting topic and it's going to be it, i think it will lead us into discussing the isolation chamber more <clears throat> more deeply um i think that uh definitely the pitfalls you kind of uh describe of uh, new age thought and practices with meditation and even things like tarot and perhaps psychedelic drug use as all well. Those are all very real pitfalls. I'm also into like a lot of new age stuff in that kind of hopefully more based way, but it's stuff that I've been exploring a lot especially over the past like year and a half, but I've always been very conscious and I'm not saying I haven't uh, fucked up, but I've always been kind of very cautious about the degree to which uh it is it is extremely selfish it is like part of like uh me like not me too but you know me culture so to speak um (laughs) where you're uh you know you know the me generation type of thing from the 60s and 70s it's very much in line with that and the danger from a like a theological or spiritual perspective the danger of it is making yourself uh, into into a god or at least like a pope like you're you're, you're 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 the only authority that you're appealing to i think i think that's both the appeal of those practices but also one of the severe dangers um, i do think it can be mitigated and i do think some of these practices can still have a lot of value outside of it but that is the principal uh pitfall i think is the fact that this is all part of individualism and the strength of organized religion Um, is that precisely that it is not like there's 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 pitfalls to organized religion too, no doubt I don't like defend every organized religion like you know um, there's something good about the freedom of new age stuff Um, but like at the end of the day if that's all you're doing like you are you could kind of devolve into a narcissistic um, wormhole Um, sorry for being long-winded here the other thing I'll say is uh, yeah like like the, the other element that actually has never sit well with me Especially with things like TM and certain, yeah, with meditation and sort of more Eastern tinged Western appropriations of Eastern thought in general, is is that ostensible desire for like unending bliss? Um, I, I, I understand, as you said, I understand why people want that, um, and I'm not necessarily like morally castigating wanting that, um, but that actually has never sit well with me. Like, I don't want that. Like, I actually want to be um embodied i don't want i mean ego death i think can be valuable but i want like i i take a lot of meaning in my suffering i guess i don't actually want my suffering. yes
3: be- that that's a great point i mean i mean I, um you know i i think that christianity has it, suffering is built into the narrative and yeah. and, and yeah. that's important because it's 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 unavoidable but i think that we also well fuck you guys wrote books so you crave suffering you know like yeah. Yeah. it's it's it it's a big part of who we are and and uh, and where meaning
1: comes from
2: absolutely you know, you hold a, the that's light that's point. Yeah. yeah all of us
1: hold the light yeah no i mean that i i i really like as so a to finish the point and to go on with what you're saying Brandon. like i really do like a lot of sort of buddhist or even hindu influenced practices i think they're like the most serious study of like the renunciation of will in the that the world has had and i think there's a lot of value in sort of suspending the will um but for me it can't be the be all end all um like just just being in that state of bliss doesn't like like no like meaning comes from suffering i and i think that the value in the new age stuff in the you know eastern stuff uh, a lot of it is um for me i think like they can be used as tools to sort of um improve the mind so to speak but ultimately, um, yeah, not just not the be all end all in terms of suspending that stuff. And to make the final, final point, I think that a lot of them are chiefly beneficial. in as far as they kind of benefit the creative process, um, I I think, you know, even things like tarot for me or like uh, meditation to a certain extent. That's why I got into it through David Lynch. It's like, oh, this is going to I'm going to take the strength of this and then I'm going to put it into something that that is material, that is is within this realm and put it out in the world. And I think that is a good bridge to talk about the Isolation Chamber, but yeah.
3: Well, you know, the Isolation Chamber um, is not... So you talk about David Lynch, okay? I feel like the Isolation Chamber has that kind of like untethered quality that a lot of David Lynch's work has. And thinking about David Lynch gave me permission to not worry about structure and always making sense and those kinds of things but i realized when i made the isolation chamber and by the way i wrote the first episode and recorded it without knowing anything about what was going to happen afterwards and that that sense yeah yeah and that was exactly what happened with every episode subsequent okay so i I kind of thought that it's like oh now i gotta write a new one and and something's got to kind of connect to that previous one and it's more or less it, how i wrote Nutcranker. and it just kept going of, and going and going you and go I where the that,
2: muse takes you yeah and, and,
3: and then the muse is kind of like we all have access to that and um and david lynch has kind of like found a really good way to do it with tm like he thinks that that that's you get into creative states where you're you're kind of operating with something that's coming from outside of you but he doesn't lay he doesn't do the work of laying a heavy structure down on those visions when he gets them. You know what I mean? Like, if you watch, you know, some of his greatest stuff, like um, uh, like Lost Highway yes. or Mulholland Drive. Mm. Um, but then you get into something like Inland Empire, which I- I'm sorry, folks, like, it just uh. doesn't work for me. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, it- it's completely untethered and i worked on the isolation chamber in that kind of mode trying to lay down some narrative structure trying to make sense of what you know basically i think for me it kind of operated as like more the isolation chamber you can look at it as like um like a sketchbook or something like that you know where i'm putting everything in there i'm putting yeah. everything i got in there all oh, the yeah, ideas all it. the things yeah. that but i've really come to respect the artist who thinks about the structure of the work. That's that's where the, like when you watch a, a good Hollywood movie that works, one that I'm thinking of in particular is like Fatal Attraction. This great yeah. narrative yeah, just like hits all the beats. You know, like the viewer is on the edge of their seat and wondering what's going to happen next. And it all adds up. There was a, that was that part to make it work like that. That's hard fucking work. And so yeah, yeah. in future fictional endeavors that I work on, I will I will not skimp on that. And I think about that a lot is the is a very, narrative structure.
2: Yeah. I would push back mm-hmm. on that slightly by saying that I think the kind of free flowing um, dynamic that you have on the isolation chamber is a real uh, uh, boost and, and, and benefit to it because you can kind of sense the kind of on-the-fly creativity that uh, is, you know, it's kind of infectious. And when I, like, when I was planning Nutcranker and when I've tried to plan novels and, you know, screenplays in the past, with with screenplays, you kind of do need to plan it. It's a movie. It has to fit into a certain framework. But, like, novels or even a more open-ended kind of radio drama, I feel like those uh, will benefit from fidelity to character voice so like Mm. your character voice is brendan basically and and other characters too but like at no point did i feel like that uh the isolation chamber was really kind of like veering in a direction to satisfy narrative and untrue to the characters like by the end when brendan is uh the world's best performance artist and he's become like a a dick like i (laughs) i believe that term I like not not that I believe you, Brendan, are a dick, but uh, I I believe that turn in the the radio drama, and yeah, that fidelity to your like your voice and your vision is kind of um, one of the big kind of benefits to um, not overly structuring a, a work of fiction, so you can kind of keep
3: it real <clears throat> through the process. Yeah, sure, sure, that's a good point. I mean that that's something I hadn't thought about, but you know, like I'm working on something right now where I've got a lot of the, I've got a lot of the story planned out and I'm having trouble making the characters sing. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. The two two things are kind of uh, in, in, in conflict sometimes I think. Dan continue. Sorry. In
2: that instance, I think what you really need to do is just like listen to the characters. Like you, I think it's like you want to plan, but you want to ultimately like, um, have the character have final authority. So, like, you you make plans, you make, but you have it, like, written into the, the contract that at the end of the day, the character says what's going to happen. And so, like, if you have them, like, you know, it's like, oh, at this point, Spencer marries Crystal. Like, mm. it's not just, you know, you're there and you're just like, that's not going to happen. And sure. you just have to, you know, you have to roll with it and let the character take you where... Character wants to go,
3: and that's that's in my opinion the the discovery that comes from letting the character do the writing, do the talking, do the yeah. guiding you. That's like the best feeling. That exactly. that's the best feeling. That's better than that. That's kind of like what you're trying to get when you do, you know, when you get into like deep states of meditation or doing absolutely. Yeah, it where, is Or something's coming from outside of you. In yeah, yeah. You're in and the zone. A, You're yeah, like, I love like, that feeling.
2: Like athletes when they're like in the middle of like their one of their best basketball games mm-hmm. or whatever, and they could oh, see everything all around them, and they're just like moving fluidly. Like <laughs> for like for nerdy writer guys, like cat writing, like you know, effortlessly, hearing the kind sure. that's like our being in the zone, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I think that yeah it's a, it's a flow state and it's definitely kind of flow
2: like, state that's what i was gonna say yeah, yeah. seeking flow out
1: state. of art uh but as well as also things like meditation too it's it's like that nirvana feeling uh not nirvana the band uh but you know what i mean the that that bliss um that well I don't, maybe that's in that, in that maybe that's not to get not to split hairs i don't know if that's like actually how nirvana would be defined in an eastern tradition maybe that's a more calm state and flow state's actually more active i don't know it's it's following the dow i don't know there's a million different frameworks to put it in um it's all it's all good but i i was gonna say i think that art is often um especially writing but i think all art would have something equivalent to this uh it is is the is the the, the art itself is the art of balancing that kind of it's not like jordan peterson like oh, chaos and order so to speak like you have to impose that structure but sometimes that's at odds with that more free-flowing creativity but the free-flowing creativity doesn't always lend itself well to structure and like a lot of art and a lot of the best art some art leans too far in one direction or the other you know you have like formulaic television which is not exactly art but it's very well plotted and then you have like inland empire uh, which i might like a bit more than you but i definitely hear what you're saying um where it's kind of just a chaotic like uh surreal id and and then you have something like Mohan Drive, uh, not to sound film broy about that, but you know what I mean. So Mohan, or even Blue Velvet, uh, perhaps even even a more plotward direction, where there's that great balance between the two things, and I think that is the struggle. And it's not one that there's an easy solution for. It's something you have to to work at and almost like get lucky to be able to enter that mental space where you can make something that is both channeling a pure fire of creativity and also structured. It's a challenge.
3: Oh, I think it's an extreme challenge, and I think that we, that, that when you say that, uh, you know, you get lucky, I think Have that's you... true. I think yeah. that's true. I think, you know, if you can, if you can catch it a few times and be, you know, like that's great. Um, and, and you, you know, luck is a component of greatness, you know, and luck itself is an art. Um, yeah. but, um, I think, um, you know, just the thing, the thing that, that I will, you know not not denigrating like unstructured surreal narratives i'm just saying that the hard work that comes from imposing structure on a work is a is a challenge that i hadn't previously considered and am embracing you know as as yeah, no. like a, i think as it's as, a good as something
1: bit. absolutely and that's, that's what
3: <laughs> you know as as just like the and and you know like I don't want to try the isolation chamber again, you know, like, yeah. And, 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 and risk fate and risk, you know, and, and, um, uh, you know, risk the gods turning on me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good to kind of go in different directions as Dan kind of said, I do think the freewheeling nature of the isolation chamber is one of the main appeals. Um, and I actually, I have this, this comment, like I, I I like the ending. I think the ending makes sense that, you know, Brendan, the character, would kind of it's a it's a almost like this a star is born type narrative where like, you know, the art the art the artistry, like he he sells out, so to speak. Um definitely a satisfying narrative and it comes to a satisfying conclusion. But I would say, and and please take this as a compliment, that I if you would have kept doing the isolation chamber. For years, like I probably, you know, I would have <laughs> obviously, was, yeah, I would have kept listening. Like I could imagine you going in just a zillion different directions. It would still be interesting because what you were doing was interesting. But that being said, I totally get the need to at some point bring the project to a close. And I also totally get what you're saying in terms of like once you do a more freewheeling thing, like you need to explore your craft more in terms of bringing structure to it and whatever you produce next. And I'm curious to whatever extent you want to talk about that. Are we? Is it another radio drama? I don't know. Is it a book? But like, uh, I understand why to kind of swing in the other direction. Um, on a personal level, like the first novel I re- wrote, Dragon Day, pretty well plotted. My next book, which is not a novel actually, but a cl- series of like interrelated short stories and essays, uh, is a lot more um, like unbridled. And I think it is kind of as an artist, one does want to go back and forth and try sort of different things on.
3: Well. The good news is that I am doing another uh, radio drama.
2: Great. Awesome. Um, Happy to hear it.
3: I'm plotting it a little bit more tight. You know, I'm one, I'm just to take the stress out of it. I'm writing all the episodes first and then going to record it, which, you know, like, I mean, that the thing was, was that you'd get it put out, I'd put out an isolation chamber episode and then it'd be like, start all over again. You know, (laughs) and that was a little stressful. Uh, but the other thing is that I want to, I'm, there will be elements of it that are retained, which is the mystery, you know, the mysterious esoteric atmosphere. I'm going to, going to try again. Good, good. Um,
2: True detective vibes here. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it, actually. You know, yeah, you know,
2: season two was the best season, so. Mm Yeah, yeah, well, and, and my chamber. and
3: not only that, but we're gonna get um black Irishman Colin Farrell. For the, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say
2: black Irishman Howling Mutant. Huh.
3: Well, he's yeah, he's kind of the Colin Farrell of my my. Uh, <laughs> um, Colin
1: Farrell, I have to say, would exist very nicely within the uh, Brendan Lusso, i <laughs> expanded universe. Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan too. I I oh. saw like um probably mutual friend. Uh, or mutual Twitter follower, at least. Uh, what is what's his name? Um, filthy Armenia uh, really hated big entries and Shira, and I kind of get why he did, but I do really like seeing Colin Farrell and everything.
2: Yeah, yeah, good acting, but yeah, I wasn't a huge fan.
1: But yeah, so did not did not toooner to He just well, he has was... that vibe. He has that ice that that isolation chamber vibe. About well, him.
3: I was upset about the Batman because he was unrecognizable. Like I was like,
1: oh right, I forgot about that. He <laughs> As the Penguin <laughs> yeah. of all people.
3: Yeah which I can understand why, you know, everybody wants it. You know, now that Heath Ledger is like uh, ascended to like God status because of the Joker, like everybody wants a crack at a Batman villain and like, we'll put on a fat suit or whatever, but I need, but, but you know, some actors are like, Hey, get a you know, get him in a fat suit or whatever. Bobby De Niro, like make him into yeah. a new guy, but other people have just like that raw appeal of just like, who they are and how they look yeah that's more of what colin farrell is so don't don't put him in a fat suit and give him a new york accent no that was
1: not yeah i do like paul dano i mean maybe it's kind of reddit or like a predictable opinion maybe everyone said this but i thought paul dano was pretty striking in that movie interesting yeah no the colin farrell wasn't yeah it's kind of forgettable unfortunately
3: yeah yeah i mean unfortunately it wasn't like a great movie you know it was like good but yeah it it was good it was good but it was and and it was like two movies in one kind of you know sort of yeah but uh yeah i was hoping i'm a big batman person myself you know and uh i I just was like a little let down by that particular property
2: yeah one thing i want to say before i forget is that um because we're talking about your next season of whether it's isolation chamber or a new project entirely. I was talking with my girlfriend last night and I described it as like a, uh, a radio drama. And she was like, does that mean it's like a play that's recorded? And I said, well, actually kind of not, because like I have some background in the, the industry and or whatever. And as such, I've like, I listened to a good number of recorded plays and like, it's very difficult to, uh, if you're just kind of like reading a play that the actors are reading it, to envision what's going on on the stage because a lot of it relies upon movement. A lot of it, like like all of these recorded plays, audio plays, are not written for the audio medium. So it just it kind of falls flat. It doesn't, and in some instances, doesn't work at all. Whereas uh, the isolation chamber and what you've done, frankly... That is, I, I haven't listened to a ton of like true radio dramas, but uh, you you nailed it. And it's just like, it's just very listenable, very like, I'm not struggling to picture what's going on because through the combination of sound effects and like interior monologues and everything, it just, it, it flows seamlessly. And so, yeah, kudos to Thank you, you. you. <laughs> that, you know, you, you've really nailed the radio drama and Thank I, I, I can't wait to see the next exactly, one. Yeah. Theater of the Mind. Yes. Well,
3: you know, there's two things that go into that. One is that when you're writing it, you know that you won't be showing anything. So you put things in the characters' mouths to describe the atmosphere. The other thing is that I relied on not one, but three different producers to make the the soundscape. The first one is oh, okay. this guy, this guy, Eric Harris, who created the show you know we kind of created the show together in fact uh, he had come to me right about the time um that i was uh doing that i was about to do the elroy boys and uh and he said hey man i've heard you on these various shows uh, you know doing guest spots or whatever and i think you should have your own show and i was like well and, and he said and i'll do he was a he's a music producer and musician and no, he said, not the do-
2: columbine killer just to be clear <laughs> no yeah.
3: thankfully that, I, you guys would, should be really worried about me if i was describing him because i believe he you know ate his own gun yeah, yeah you'd um, have
2: to be a supernatural figure yeah an isolation yeah. chamber visitor perhaps exactly <laughs> maybe he should, have been. Maybe he should yeah. have been um yeah in that dark isolation chamber episode yeah, the other that, guy in the basement. Oh, man.
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, I would love to talk about that. that I would love to talk oh, yeah. about that episode.
2: No, we want to yes. get into it. That's, uh, uh, I have great affection for
3: that. I, I think I, I, love, I love that episode so much. And I put a lot of myself into that one. Episode six. Yeah, that but, was but,
2: the, the favorite of mine. Just clear.
3: Yeah. And, and that one was done by Eric, you know, the music and stuff was done by Eric. Um, And he'd said, well, I, you know, you should do your own show and, and I'll help you do it. I'll do anything, you know. And I said, well, you know, un- you know, unfortunately you're catching me at a time where I'm already developed, you know, I'm already in development of this talk show, the Elroy boys with, with Blauergeist and this guy, Sam Dennis, who also is on that isolation show, yeah. yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and i said but maybe we can try something different something weird you know something non not a talk show and that's how we started doing the isolation chamber and and he did the music you know in the audio stuff for the first um i believe it was like uh 8 or 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 9 episodes he did the first 9 i believe and then and then he kind of dropped off the project and then i got my brother who's a really talented musician to do the next two Mm. and then he kind of and then you know and then the last two were done by john dios who was like kind of a Good. controversial twitter personality but also a musician and i think that he didn't all three of them did a fucking great job i couldn't have done it without them yeah and yeah. without excellent and work couldn't have done it without them couldn't have done it without all of the people that were on it which i mean there's like too many to name but a lot
2: but of I've real talent yeah. uh yeah. like mutant is like i know that he has a, a great twitter you know f- presence It's one of the funniest twitter accounts out there but he's a really good actor too like he's yeah, hilarious like that line where he's just like uh i'm gonna stick my hand up your wife's face. <laughs> 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 that was just it was just hilarious it's, uh, yeah. there's so many like lines like i thought that mutant walked away with it many times
3: well you know and and on the very last episode finally um my mom is played by uh, this woman, Martina Martinez, who is. Oh a, yeah, all
4: right. Yeah.
3: She she wrote um she wrote the story for Terror House called Paco that's really good and she was just yeah. on Tales from the Mall which people should subscribe and listen to that but um and she yeah. was on it before. I didn't realize uh, that was her. That was she's an incredibly talented. Like she just destroyed this part. Oh yeah, she was and, great as your mom. And so I'm writing a play uh for her a real like I'm hoping a stage play that she can be in and that will yeah so hopefully that's a great work. actress yeah he's really talented really really good but there were so many great people i mean you know i mean there wasn't anyone that i would like you know i mean i just thought i i some parts i wrote with people in mind other people filled in the role and did an amazing job and um yeah but that but that you episode
2: for very good, like well, uh, kind thank of you. like teasing out all of these kind of insecurities while like kind of still like maintaining a kind of likable stage presence. It uh, it was it was really good.
3: OK, well, and then let me tell you let me tell you something about I finally you know, I I started it in like February of um, 21, I think is when the first episode came out and the last episode just came out this year. And there was a significant right. delay between certain episodes, um, but uh, I wanted to close the loop on it because all many of the crazy shit that I write about in the isolation chamber, it like opened up a portal in my life where these crazy shit would happen to me. Oh. I'm not always good, and and things that happen on the show would happen to me. And it happened to other oh, people that were involved in the show. And it was like, I got to put the lid on this motherfucker or else oh, weird shit's going to keep yeah. happening. You know what I mean? Like,
1: that's wild. you know,
3: women coming to me and being like, I like you because you're uniquely sensitive and sweet women tricking <laughs> me, you know, um, you know, like that, that art journalist Monica or whatever, you know, tricks Brendan in episode six relationships. You know, friendships and things imploding, people dropping off, people who played characters acting out the things that happened to them between me and them on the show happened between me and them in real life. Oh, wow. Had to close the
1: lid. (laughs) It's like, like the show had a power. Yeah. Had to close the lid. Actually, I had on the my, uh, one of my questions I wanted to ask was like, you know, so how did you decide to, um, to bring the show to a close and that is perhaps a that is perhaps three or four times as satisfying an answer as i would have anticipated um well and the
3: other thing was was that when eric and i first were developing the show we were like we're going to do 13 episodes like arbitrarily kind of yeah and so i stuck to that like yeah No. yeah so that was another thing but yeah Yeah, it was was it was weird
1: Definitely sounds weird. Without prying too much further into it, because I, I appreciate those probably personal stuff. That was basic because I was going to ask, like, what what was the not in a negative way, but what was the deal with the timeline? It was like, what is it, ten or eleven episodes, all in twenty twenty one? Maybe two last year and one this year. It's a very strange timeline, but I can appreciate if there was a intersection yeah. of the Well, thing. one
3: other thing is that Tales from the Mall took over my life.
1: Okay.
4: Yeah.
3: You know, and I mean, when I first started Tales from the Mall, I wasn't just doing I was putting out two episodes a week. I remember nice. you were very plenum, and yeah. doing short film video promotions like that. Yeah, I remember the video really intensive, like, oh, yeah, video yes. editing
1: is no picnic. And I imagine you did that yourself.
3: No, I had a guy. I had a, oh, this amazing well, video editor. Out. His name is Matt. He's like a, a genius. And then eventually, like, that was too much work. And so yeah. I just started doing like little ambient videos to promote it, but I still stick with that. Still do a video for every episode. Yeah. That's yeah. But before it was like, I, you know, I, there'd be these like mall, these like really intricate mall vibes videos, or we'd tell a story and there was a lot of acting and shooting. And,
1: Oh, I remember you know. like your one with, um, uh, Sandra Solomon, uh, Ubermensch, who was also on. Yeah. Baseball. Um, Sorry, it was also on Isolation Chamber. I remember I remember that video was like, wow, this is a quite intricately edited. There was one where you are like, not to, yeah. We'll talk more about Isolation Chamber, but We I can talk you about like whatever. Naked. You were naked in the desert. <laughs> <So>.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I was. That was,
1: a memorable. that was the one with Sandra, right?
3: Yeah, well, you know what? Um, I, I went, my parents live in rural Arizona. And so I knew of like I knew, like, just ha- go- having gone hiking in the in that area and stuff, like, I knew where there were like little dirt patches on the side of the road where you could like park your car and yeah. like, get out and go into the desert off trail. And so I kind of knew of places where I could go be nude in the desert. Which oh yeah, was fortunate because I, I wouldn't want to. Good to know. Be registered as a sex offender or whatever. Okay, I actually
1: have to clarify something about that. We can continue your story. No,
3: Register. that's it.
1: There's a there's a weird bit of uh, of internet um uh, of Twitter back and forth that I that I should clarify. My friend uh, Robert Stark, who's probably on your radar, I remember at that time he left you a comment like, "Isn't this bad paperwork?" And you were like, uh, "What's your meaning or something?" I don't know, uh, and I don't know if you you thought he was being a dick or something. Ah, uh, to clarify on behalf of Robert, Robert um is like very obsessed with like the 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 laws in Arizona pertaining to like the I don't know he has a like a a weird fixation on like um the possibility of like getting arrested on like a sex offender charge and like wh- where the worst <laughs> places in the country to have that happen to you are and he has some idea that Arizona is one of the worst places so uh, just to clarify on Robert's behalf I think that's what he was um. Getting at, but that's well, that's very
3: right. frightening. It well,
1: is I mean, very frightening. As
2: yeah. Arizona is trending blue, perhaps that uh, you know, trend will uh decrease and Arizona <laughs> will become a free for all for uh, sexual <laughs> deviancy.
4: <laughs> oh man,
2: we uh, oh, yeah, you may
1: be in luck for it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well,
1: anyway. <laughs> I, I probably derailed the conversation bringing that up, but uh, oh well, <laughs> but um, That's
2: okay. So I'm curious, what was the uh, the video for the episode with Howling Mutant and uh, and Jacob? Because it seems like those guys would lend themselves to like a really interesting promo.
3: Well, you know that that so so I did a couple episodes with Howling Mutant and Jacob, and and the most recent one, well, the was, Halloween like, the, one, the Halloween on. special, yeah. And you know this is and this is in the post. Like like I said, I had that video editor guy helping me and his name was Matt and this was the post this was post Matt when I did that and so all I did was I at the mall where I recorded the vast majority of the episodes um the audio uh mm. is called the Arizona Mills Mall yeah, and okay. during Halloween season, what used to be the Sears what used to be the Sears is basically just like an empty gigantic portion of the mall that they'll use as they'll use it one for a while. It was like bouncy house mania and there were just bounce houses in there and they'll do that part of the year. And then they'll have like convention, like, you know, like little conventions where people sell stuff like sneakers and stuff like that. Well, during Halloween, it becomes a spirit Halloween store.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay.
3: And so sure. I went into the spirit Halloween and I took a bunch of video and I slowed it down and put some spooky music over it and some audio from that episode. Um, and that was basically it, you know, it, real simple. You know, Okay, not
2: a, yeah. Well, one yeah. real, like, strength of that episode, and I think a lot of the Tales from the Mall episodes, is you are having your friends on, people that, not always, but you know, often people you already know. And, like, that lends itself to, like, a fun, good conversation. Like, uh, for instance, I think on New Right... I mean, we haven't had, I think, I'm. you know, people will be upset if I'm wrong here, but I think our only return guest was Kevin Kautzman so far, and right. I think our second episode with him was, um, you know, a lot more, you know, entertaining than our first, just because we had like that rapport, we have that, you know, kind of friendliness back and forth going, and like, that's like perfect, like if you can build a big network of like interesting people and just have them on again and again. Like, you're going to get the best conversations because that conversation between you, Jacob, and Mutant, like, you were just, like, really just shooting the shit. And it was, like, it was fun. And, like, like there is that moment where, like... um Mutant, I think, was talking about dressing up as terrorists for Halloween or something. Yeah. Or maybe it was Jacob. I, I forget who was dressed up as the uh terror the Ayatollah or something. But like you guys just like, you know, dunking on it and riffing. It uh that was really funny.
3: Well, I'm glad you think so. And yeah, I mean, I love to have my friends on the show. I, I love to have Jacob on. He's he's a really close friend of mine who, you know, I know, you know, like I've I've been to his house a few times and um who by the way is like one of the most visionary people I've ever met and hmm. Apocalypse Confidential and all of its success is because of his instincts and his vision yeah. and getting the right guys, awesome. you know, yeah. asking the right guys like Max Thrax who you had on and, yeah. and all of the guys, you know, Tom will Yeah. His books editor that we've got. His name is Bill and he's been on the show and will be on my show. And Hermes Thurston, who's like, Kind of a you know he's like he knows a lot about Web three and and yeah. then um we've got this guy um uh this new guy Toley who's gonna do some merch for us and he's a character and I've met him and then Dawson who's the fiction editor who's just like a really you
1: know, oh yeah Dawson I know him. a yeah. savant okay. you know
3: and 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 so it's and and I think that's a testament to Jacob where he's like he knows who's gonna be good you know
2: yeah yeah, yeah he seems like a real kind of as you say visionary. And like someone with uh, a sense of like uh, being a, a quiet leader, like he knows how to direct people, he knows how to like pick the best people, like all of the kind of like qualities that, not to get too political, that uh, we uh, we wish Trump had had.
1: <laughs> yeah, well,
3: I would say that Jacob really is uh, Caesar with the soul of Christ.
1: Yeah. High <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> cool. no like, Is
3: that Nietzsche? Is that I don't know. You guys, you guys. I don't know.
1: Great. It sounds like a great concept. It's a though. good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, um. But yeah, no, definitely. I think to to kind of pair it with Dan had said. I think both Tales from the Mall and um isolation chamber. I mean, uh, you talk about uh obviously Jacob is 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 good as a as a as a leader, but uh but also with your pod, Brennan, I would pay you that compliment, like. You know, it's very much the product of your mind, but you really, you know, let, um, bring out the best in your, and your guests and your collaborators. And and that's one of the things that's so exciting about, about your work and about thank the isolation paper too. It's like this, uh, you know, the camaraderie of everyone involved is, uh, was one of the, one of the highlights for sure.
2: Absolutely.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah. No, camaraderie... in fact... Oh, go on. I'm sorry. I don't want you to catch you up.
2: I think
3: camaraderie is like one of the most important things on earth. Uh, you know when when football players retire the thing that they miss the most usually is the camaraderie you know like they don't have that they don't have that guys going into battle feeling you know and i definitely have that and we get that with apocalypse confidential too
2: yeah no listening to isolation chamber i was like impressed both by the execution the quality and i'm like Wow, uh, Brendan actually knows like a lot of talented people who like, you know, hook up with him and do work with him. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> well
3: that that that's a you know, that's an incredible feeling to 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 reach out to somebody out of the blue and be like, Do you want to do this? And then being like, Oh, ab- I would love to, absolutely. Instead of being like, What's this about? Like, yeah, who are you? Like, you huh. know, you know, those yeah. kinds of things. And so I love I love that feeling, you know. I chase that. That's why absolutely. I do what I do
2: really chase yes so uh, another part that we wanted to bring up in uh, isolation chamber is um, God I, I don't know maybe this will, will come off as a little too uh, a little too pussy or something but um, <laughs> there's the the sense that you like uh, expressed and I, I not you necessarily the character you and Brendan this desire to be uh, loved the way you want to be loved, which is to say, to be understood by your partner. And I had a kind of like semi-viral tweet that went around saying like, uh, women, parentheses, like, I want him to love me for the real me, men, parentheses, uh, I hope that she, uh how how do i put this under no circumstances can she discover the real me Mm -hmm. and so there's like this real kind of like i feel um dichotomy and kind of like sense that like if you're a man you shouldn't strive to be understood by your partner because that exposes a level of vulnerability that she will then like not respect you for or whatever or like or maybe there's stuff that's just like kind of like wrong or gross or you know whatever but like nevertheless I think that is a strong instinct I feel it myself I'll you know say like I 100% want to feel understood by my you know my my girl so like Mm -hmm. it's um you know, it's it's something that I think uh, guys on our side, whatever that means, uh, the e uh-huh. right, the frogs, are just kind of like, you know, that's not uh, part of the equation. Why you do? They don't. They don't need to understand you. You just need to, you know, uh, have them and keep them happy, and you know, and do your projects. But like to me, that's kind of like, um, you know, not not a full relationship, not a full, uh, not a full union.
3: I would what have do to you agree. think about that,
2: Brandon?
3: I would have to agree. Well, you know, one of the things that I picked up, uh, you know, I, I've gone through a lot of different phases of, you know, of, of what my, you know, uh, you know, deep intellectual influences are. And then also what more superficial atmospheric things that I consider to be true. And, you know, I went through a phase where I was like reading like. You know, fucking Rolo Tomassi or what? You know that guy <laughs> yeah, and yeah. And, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I have hundred percent. He's terrible.
3: Yeah. He's terrible. And um, artiste uh, *The Godfather* yeah, yeah, sure. of them all. And, and and these things like it just the problem that I have with them is that they're asking you to put on this like to to basically perform this character twenty four seven. You can't let your guard down with your partner with women. And it sounds like, well, why even like that sounds really stressful? Why even bother?
4: Yeah. You know, exactly. Why even
3: bother? And I'm not, you know, and not even a hundred percent that it works. Um, you know, and and what kind of person are you attracting who needs like this heavy the heavy hand of basically what sounds to me like an alcoholic father, you know, or something <laughs> like that. Um yeah. the point I'm just making is that a relationship should be somewhere where you feel comfortable and let your guard down a respite. Like, you know, I mean, I'm not saying, like, there's a difference between wallowing in self-pity and, like, uh, you know, overdoing it with a partner. And I've certainly done that in the past, like, where I just, like, became this pathetic animal. But, um, yeah. Because you are working because like because you're working hard and and the waves of society are crashing on you and you're fighting the good fight and, and you know you're going and um you know working hard in the world, whether it's like the corporate world or whatever, you need a safe harbor. Like isn't that the point of a relationship? Yeah. And furthermore, yeah. there's a an idea that you are actually giving you're giving when you expose yourself, you know, you're, 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 you're sending, you're, you're, you're give, communicating a message of love when you're being vulnerable by saying like, I trust you. Yeah. I care about you enough that I want you to see me how I really am.
2: I think is especially true of artists, right? Like if, you know, you, you have a light as we'll get into talking about on uh, the uh, isolation chamber, the concept of light and dark, but if you think you have this light within you, not only do you want to share it with the public, but you especially want to share it with your woman. You want her to to see and appreciate that. And like, that's like, you know, if you're kind of this heartiest version of like, I'm always going to make you think I don't like you. That's like not really going to, she's not going to see your light. She's going to see this kind of like, Fake image of like kind of masculine um, domination or whatever that you construct to you know kind of maintain relational supremacy yeah and like that's something that i think would be hard to maintain consistently and, and perhaps you know uh very uh hurtful for you you not just her but you personally to maintain with consistency for anyone but i think especially for an artist because like so much of like you know, your enjoyment out of life comes from having your thoughts understood.
1: Yeah,
3: I agree. I I think, I think the real risk, the real risk that they don't talk about is that when you put your, you know, when you become vulnerable, when you show yourself, you say something, you say what you need or what you want and that, and it doesn't go well and you're not getting it, it it's not being reciprocated or not being understood that's a hard moment yeah that maybe some people just don't want to deal with you know um
1: yeah well that think, happened in the isolation chamber right with the the first uh <laughs> performance art
3: oh god well that was a bad like you know like i had this idea that it was I you know i don't know him i don't know what changed um but just this idea that uh you know that brendan was kind of a you know he wasn't too self-aware and and his ideas were bad you know
2: a little yeah. spencer-esque yeah yeah respects. exactly
3: you know that definitely definitely that um i think uh you know it, it's just I, you know when i when i read stuff like um like the that the that red pill stuff or whatever it's just like yeah. asking me to act in ways that foreign to me and i don't really want like i'm just i don't even want to be that guy like if that's the price to have a relationship a price to be with women like I, I just like maybe i don't first of all there's six billion people on the planet so uh you you know for this to for for this to encompass so you know and i don't yeah. know yeah. no, three billion it. of them are women you know or whatever yeah for this to describe all of them, you know, it's not um, possible, yeah, probably, not anyway. Possible. Yeah. And so it's, uh, you know, it, it might be useful for some guys who who can, spurgs, you know, guys who just don't have, like, an intuition about how to, you know, like, here's some guidelines, you know. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that they're, I think that they'd be better off reading, like, um, the Sleepy Time Bear on Twitter or something like that, you know.
2: yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, deeper, it depends uh, on uh, yeah. various, like, personal aspects and unfortunately, like, physical and status aspects. <laughs> but yeah, uh, beyond beyond that, um, you know, I it sounds trite or silly, but, like, oftentimes, you're just going to do better being yourself. And, no, you I think know, that's... Because that comes with a certain need of confidence. If you're just actually not putting on an act, you're going to be more confident because you're just being you.
1: That's true. I think at the deeper level of some of those PUA type guys, some of them did understand that to a certain degree, at least. And, you know, you mentioned delicious tacos being on tales from the mall earlier. I haven't heard that episode, but he's, he's kind of a guy who walked the line, uh, the, the line from, you know, he, he was kind of part of that PUA scene a little bit, but I think now what, not that he's even an advocate, he's mostly like a, an auto fiction writer, but, but nevertheless, um, he's someone who I think understands uh, that there's uh there's more to it than than the hearties thing and that there's a there is a value to the vulnerability even if even if hopefully some of that vulnerability is counteracted by masculinity as well nevertheless you know
3: well i think one thing is that okay first of all i'll say this like uh, like that rollo tomasi guy or whatever like there's something wrong with that guy like okay like he's just he's his own guy like and he has his own view of the world and part of his philosophies are projections of whatever's going on. The Hartiste thing seemed to me to come out of a context of like that, like mid Atlantic PUA scene, like a Washington DC. Yeah. There yeah. Was something going Where on. it was like, we live in, you know, like, like we're just, we're just trying to get laid at nightclubs and we're dealing with women that we don't even really care about. And DC is a cesspool of for dating anyway. So this is not a context where we can really explore all of the dimensions of me- male-female relationships. We're just talking about, like, here's a it's way... specific to- time and place, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Stuff. And it's good, but, I mean, uh, not even to get too derailed on PUA stuff, but... As we no, meet, it's one of my you know, favorite second.
3: topics, by the way.
1: What's that? Oh, cool. I'm a
3: scholar yeah. of, the, of the PUA.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, of I think pickup. And I have both... Not that I'm
3: both. good at it, but...
1: Yeah, no, I think a lot or of or tried it even stuff. really. Yeah, no, same, same. We get our second episode. on yeah, we did like. I think that some of his the Manosphere to
2: literature up. pipeline. Yeah, was, we called uh... it the
1: Manosphere to literature pipeline, and I think that a lot of Artie's writing is actually very good, and a lot of his kind of more philosophical or sociological insights are actually pretty sound. And frankly, not yeah. that I've tried it, less, but his game advice is by sound. But still, it's like, so he's probably better than than Tomasi and some of these other guys. But nevertheless, it's like yeah, as you said, um, it's kind of a specific time and place, and it's a very negative, very negative <laughs> outlook on things. Yeah,
3: I, I would agree. I think it's dark, too yeah. dark for me. I like light.
1: Right. Well, I think we want to talk a little more about some of uh that that element of isolation chamber, the the interplay of dark versus light. Dan, you had a way of putting it. You know, and maybe it's a silly, maybe it's a silly question in a way, but you know. Do you, that, I guess that idea of the artist as the bringer of light, and we've talked about this a bit already, but yeah. the artist as the bringer of light really, really resonates.
2: Yeah. So yeah, the the concept of the light versus darkness that I thought was a really like ingenious way of kind of like weaving this into the plot and into the story. And uh, it, it really, you know, it's going to sound trite or it's going to sound, uh, you know, self-serious, but it resonated with me because this idea that like, there are certain individuals with light and they have these ideas and they have these, you know, things that they, if you don't share your light with the world, you'll, um, you know, it'll go, it'll go cold and you'll, you know, freeze to death or whatever. And it, it resonated with me on a few levels because like they're kind of, you know, I've at times, like maybe earlier in my twenties or whatever kind of felt like, um, I wished I had light but I wasn't sure and it's like you know you kind of like you think like oh I think I have the makings of someone who has light and can contribute but then you like kind of sit down to do something and you're like well, none of this is any good. I don't know how to organize my thoughts. I don't know how to. But then like it got to a certain point where like probably around the time where I wrote Nutcranker, where like my thoughts really began to crystallize. I kind of like developed a worldview and I'm like, well, actually now I truly can write what I want to write and I, I'm ready to really start contributing my my light as it were to the world. Yeah and uh and then it became a matter of like you got to find the time to do this even though it hurts even though it like hurts in terms of like taking time from other things be it from family from relationships from work (laughs) from sleep yes but you just you know nevertheless you have to do it because like if you don't i mean it's it's kind of like this kind of weird thing right where it's like yeah you know ultimately kind of like who cares if you don't share your light it's like you're not literally going to freeze to death but the thing is it's kind of like and this gets into a little bit of you know uh religion perhaps or something like if you feel that you have these thoughts ideas qualities that um that once you once you die they'll they'll go away forever you have a kind of like a God given duty almost to express them while you're here, to get them out there into the world while you still can. And like, that's why, like when I was done with Nutcranker, I like, I felt a great sense of relief. (laughs) I felt a sense of relief that like, okay, you can, uh, not that I want to, but like, if you got hit by a car tomorrow and there were no more damn Baltic, uh, well, you got Nutcranker out and that will live on and that's just kind of like i did it i still don't have children gotta get working on that but (laughs) i got nutcranker out
3: (laughs) yeah yeah i agree i think i think that it's like would be um wrong it would be selfish if if you had any inkling that you had something to say uh, that people needed to hear that you don't say it because that was a big thing for me um Uh, was just that oh well I'm just everybody has something to say you know and 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 everybody's saying something everybody's got some project that's what it feels like right because because when you're contributing to a space where it's kind of like creative a community of creative people well of course everybody is making something that's the community that you're in but it feels like that every that all eight billion people on earth are doing that and so you kind of feel like you don't want to like contribute to the pollution, you know. You yeah, always no, look I've at that feeling too too. like pollution.
4: I,
1: yeah. yeah, I've actually. And, when Dan, I think I've said this on this spot before. When Dan first said we should start a podcast, I was like, "There's too many podcasts." But I'm glad we did it, of course. So yeah, yeah. I, I get what you mean, like I've had that sense, uh, but I think you're also right that it's maybe a little artificial. We're on a creative sphere of Twitter, and yeah, of course, what else are you gonna do? You're just gonna post about politics all day? No, you're gonna have some kind of project, some kind of podcast, some kind of writing project, probably both. <laughs> um, yeah. and it's yeah, it, it's nothing to be dissuaded by. I think I've said this maybe on Astral's podcast or somewhere. But the way to look at it isn't like oh, there's too much. It's like you gotta and actually. You know what, um, Brendan, I think you talked about this maybe with John Dios or someone who's a musician. How I actually, it's res, it stuck with me on Tales from the Mall. How it's like, you almost have to look at it and it's almost a tired metaphor, but still, like the, like the punk scene, quote unquote, or like the independent music scene where it's like, yeah, of course, everyone has a band and people open up for each other. Um, And maybe there's only like a hundred people in the crowd, but like you're still playing to those people and you got to embrace that. Um, You got to embrace the, the multiplicity of it. And you know, you're not going to listen to everything. You got to find your people and stay with them. Uh, because yeah, everyone is bringing some kind of light into the world uh, as gay as well, that may sound. <laughs> and the other
3: thing, the other thing that you have to do is, and, and it sounds like Dan, you did this. You know, when you were just what you were just describing, uh, and I, re- I heard this from a guy who's an actor that in order to be good, uh, you have to assume your own brilliance.
1: Yeah. I'm, I think it's true
3: there's really no other way like yeah. because you need that you need the confidence to say like like if you got something risky that you want to try or whatever and you're just like well I'm not the guy I'm not the guy I'm not that good so I'm not going to try that
2: yeah. yeah no I think you do need to you need to have that bedrock belief but I ironically you like while you're writing it I think you have to let go of that so, like, if I'm writing something and I'm thinking, like, this has to be really good, this has to be, you know, live up to my expectations, I'll just get two in my head and I won't be able to write well. Yeah. So, when I'm writing, I just tell myself, you know, this is probably shit. You're probably going to, you know, just keep <laughs> only, you know, read it yourself, never share it with anyone. So, just, like, go wild. Go buck wild. But, uh, yeah. Oh, that's no, I mean, that's like, a good
3: point.
1: Yeah, that's like I, another I feel like that's like the flip side. Like you either say like, this is probably shit anyway that I got to do it. So it doesn't matter. Or you say, but I feel like the, the other way of doing that, it's actually it, ironically, I think it ends up being a similar thing when you say anything I do is brilliant there. It's either way you're getting to that point, point of yeah, saying it doesn't no, matter. That's true. And that's how you let loose. Yeah, exactly. So either, you either have either to it's, you say there's no consequences or just assume like it's just tomato, tomato.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to find a way to convince yourself that it doesn't matter that's how people are judging you
3: well that's you know the and that's good art. and that's kind of what i had to do with the isolation chamber because i was so i was like oh my god what if it's cringe like what if it's what if it's the worst and like everybody thinks it sucks or 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 even worse than that nobody clicks on it nobody clicks on it like and it just goes out and you're just like one of those people who's just like you know sometimes they'll peep there's there's those people who like have zero followers on Twitter and they'll yeah. post like it'll just be like hey here's my podcast and it's like a soundcloud link and it's like not even there's not even like an image or anything you know and it gets zero likes or whatever and you're just kind of imagining yourself yeah. Yeah. as that person and it's a horrible thing and and I was like that I would have to do that I would go through that phase and then I would go through the phase don't worry about it this this isn't for that reason. It's just it's just for you to to get it out. That's that's the forge. That's the real work is getting it out. Eric told me he said that's when I was working with Eric, what people think of it is none of your business, okay? Your business is move on to the next thing. So I was okay, I would do I so I'd go to work with that attitude like nobody nobody's going to listen to it anyway, doesn't matter. And then I'd do it, and then it would be like, "This is the best fucking thing that has ever been written," and I'm gonna be. Amazon is gonna approach me and say, "We want you to develop a Prime series," and every you know, you're gonna get your, you know, everybody's gonna think you're great. Everybody's gonna think it's genius because it is genius because I'm totally relaxed and I'm making something genius out of that state. And then I would get hyped up and then it would come back to me like but what if nobody gets it and nobody likes it and and it sucks and it's actually cringe as fuck and and then i would go okay just do it nobody cares and it was that cycle over and over and over again you know
1: yeah no i'm familiar with that cycle as well absolutely yeah um Um, weird thing obviously you do want an audience but you can't think about oh, that while you're making those, people say, th-
3: those people who say those people who say i don't care if anybody reads it i don't care if 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 uh you know i'm doing it for myself they are eh, you know and maybe they're lying to themselves for good reason for reasons that we've el- illuminated yeah. that they need to but they are 100% lying that they're yeah, full of no, shit you, you do it absolutely audience,
1: but you also can't do it for audience. it's a weird it's another one of those sort of not contradictory but like one of those tensions that that creates art i think um mm-hmm. to uh, sort like of art.
2: double think yeah double yeah.
1: think for a, a contemporary liter liter contemporary literature soundbite reference here uh brett eastern ellis's last book the shards uh he dedicated to no one and has kind of um like he 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 wrote like this is dedicated to no one um and he has kind of um talked about it in his podcast as like basically what we're talking about that you can't yeah you ha- all literature and you know he's obviously a very celebrated author and but says like you cannot write or he does not write for anyone else. It's, it's just a process of letting something out and it has to, it has to be that way. That's the only way you can create. And uh, I've always liked that. Like um, not that I'm uh, a, you know, like I started to realize I was doing, I'm not saying I'm the best writer in the world, but doing something right with regard to writing and even doing something right with regard to podcasting and other forms of creativity when I, when I started to think similarly like that, because I'd heard people like Brett and others say, like, it has to be for you. Um, you know, you can't worry what anyone else thinks. It has to be something that you are letting out of yourself that you feel you need to let out, which again, it's kind of the story of the isolation chamber <laughs> yeah um, light you need to share, or perhaps even some darkness you need to exercise and turn into light. Perhaps um, once I started thinking that way about what I was doing, that's how I knew not not necessarily to speak to its quality, but that I was doing it right, I guess. Because as, as a teenager trying to write, it's like, what, what, what do I even do beyond putting words on a page? Like, how do I know if I'm doing it right? And I think right. once I started to think like that, that's when I realized, okay, this is what art is. It's this um, exclamation of something from, from inside of you where you you would do it. I mean, I think you're right that I think people who say, like, I don't care if people read my work. I do think they're probably lying. Um, but I think there is something to be said for like I would do it even if I knew no one would read it. Um, which interesting. Maybe that's maybe that's kind of masochistic and stupid and of itself, but I actually do think that's true for me. Like I would do a lot of the creative stuff I do whether or not there was ever an audience because I feel I need to. But yeah,
3: interesting. I, I would definitely do. I would I would do visual art if I didn't think anybody would look at it.
1: Yeah, I guess podcast. I wouldn't pod. You're right. Podcast.
3: I, will, I I don't know if I would do the writing. Cause that, that it's, it's really hard. Yeah. But I had this artist on um, tales from the mall. Her name is Petra Cortwright. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a really talented visual artist and really her work is um, really extraordinary. And she's, and we were talking about some of the barriers to starting, to doing it, to doing the work, that's something that people say all the time. Do the work. It's kind of gay, but uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, she work. said, "Well, yeah. well, if I if I don't feel like working, or if I'm, if, you know, feeling a lot of, um, you know, resistance, I'll just say this is a practice. This is I'm just practicing on this one. Yeah, dude, that I'll is that. golden. That is golden advice.
2: Yeah." Yeah, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I mean when I'm just like, no one has to see it. No one has to. Like, you're just, you know, you never give up a bedrock belief that like you're contributing valuable things, but you know that you're not going to get it right every time. And like, so not every time you put your pen to page means it's going to be golden. You just need to, you know, kind of trust that you'll eventually produce good stuff and you just got to, you know, get it out there. And know that like you're gonna do your best stuff when no one is watching. So yeah, yeah. and that's when true. you're not watching yourself,
3: rather, yeah, and that that that's really even more important because because you know you got to go unconscious.
2: Yeah, you yeah. Gotta go
3: unconscious, and that's when the good that's when the good feelings, as well as the good shit, on comes out on the page, yeah. but also but, the good feeling of like this isn't coming from me. Well, yeah. it
1: goes back to the original metaphor you spoke about, which is um, you know, the isolation chamber as is that state of mind, not the not necessarily a literal suspension tank, but but some kind of yeah, and with meditation too, like some kind of focus honed in on the pure power of creativity, the light. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> um, which uh, you know, it's a powerful idea that I think really comes across in isolation chamber obviously like i think i think i really do think it's very profound you know obviously there's an element of comedy to the isolation chamber there's something very unassuming about a lot of your work but it goes deep very fast i find and and i think the philosophical content that we're now talking about in terms of uh, being a creative person in art i think is um some some very profound stuff um thank you
3: Well, yeah. you know okay so one other thing about the light, and, and, and... I think this is kind of comes to um it it really I begin to elucidate this from episode 6 onward and 6 is kind of a turning point and what happens in episode 6 is Brendan has had his first performance and it's just trashed on NPR mm-hmm. by like a Latinx NPR art reviewer and uh and he's completely devastated but then this like really attractive a uh, art journalist shows up at his house and she's like really into the work she's really into him and she says let's take you to the ice let's take you to the isolation chamber and you should go in and i've also got this pill that you should take and then he takes the pill and instead and he has this just like absolutely like nightmare experience right. in which he meets this um incest pornographer and then he, uh, this kid starts telling him about going down to the basement where he's actually killed, you know, where he's actually, like, killed himself. And then he meets this woman who he thinks is his... This little girl who he thinks is his sister. But then she reveals she's actually his aborted daughter. Right. And the whole thing is just, like, super traumatic. One of the and best then,
2: episodes in the series. Definitely. Thank you. Brendan, here's a who, right? Go on. Yeah, Brendan, <laughs> here's a who, right? Yeah.
3: And so... um the uh, from then on, we find out that there's this conspiracy against Brendan uh, from these people that are have embraced darkness. And uh, this comes from an idea that if you have light. And I'm not just talking about this idea that you might be a creative person, but if you're somebody who believes in, uh, you know, who just wants to spread goodwill, good cheer love that there are a multitude of forces that will get that will try and bring you down and in in re in in just atmospherically but also in fact i think that negative people see people who are you know who who are staying trying to stay above ground and they try and bring them down you know they try and they try and interrupt what's happening and you can sometimes attract those people into your life. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, that's kind of where the conspiracy of darkness originated from.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's not. Yeah. I mean, as, as you kind of allude to in the, in the, in the show, um, you know, not everyone is purely dark or light. And sometimes the darkness might just be distraction. Perhaps maybe it's not someone who's truly evil or dark at core, but I mean, it's something I think a lot about too. It's, it's again, not to, to, to pimp my own book. That's not even released yet, but. My pimp it book baby. Out.
3: You know, this is your podcast.
1: I guess I, you know, I guess you you got books I to sell. It back. But I was, I was saying this to Dan and we'll talk about Nutcranker in a second too. So we'll do some more pimping, but um, yeah, my new book is called the black album and it's kind of, um, there's this central alchemical, it's a collection of short stories and essays, but they're all kind of around what I would call like a central sort of alchemical theme about, uh, a fairly basic um a fairly basic notion within within art but a sort of alchemically tinged notion about like converting dark energy into light uh, and also kind of um get obsessive at parts about like just um, how hard it is to be a creative person you you mentioned like kind of people who try to bring you down but then I just also think with with working a full-time job with the other various demands the other shit of life uh you know kind of Pulling you down that's another tension that i'm like trying to work through in that and i think from a slightly different angle i think isolation chamber talks about that stuff and um i wasn't really because i'm writing this book and i'm listening to your uh to the radio drama at the same time and it kind of wasn't till last night when i was talking through dan about our outline that i was uh, like oh wow actually the sort of philosophic similarity between this dark and light interplay is actually very very similar to, to what i'm trying to work on it as well right well yeah
3: well and this this is the thing about being um a somebody with who tries to accomplish something on, in an uncon, in an unconventional way and and that's what you know artists are unconventional people they live unconventional lives and they try and they take risks and they put themselves out there and people close to you when you try to do that will have a number of reactions and uh i think that they won't some people that won't understand it and they'll be afraid for you. They'll be afraid yeah. for you. People who love you will be afraid for you. They'll afraid that you'll fail, that you will hurt yourself in some way. And then there are other people who are, have ambitions, but too afraid to act on them for yeah. good reason. Okay. And I, I honestly believe that most people are doing their best. So if I say something, about if i say something unflattering about other people or whatever don't get me wrong like people are doing their best a lot of people have pent-up ambitions pent-up light that they don't use and when they see other people using it they start to project they start to that that's they're triggered yeah and so i think that when you when when somebody embarks on this path that they're going to trigger people in their lives in those one of those two ways, you know, either they're going to scare them. They're going to be afraid for them or it's going to trigger their own pent up ambition that they're not using. Yeah. And they're going to get, they're going to have, they're going to be confused. I'm not saying that they'll be, that they'll be jealous, but that their own yeah. unused light yeah. will be start expressing it's itself cool. in dark ways.
1: Definitely, and people people like to have their own sort of decisions and existential decisions validated. So when you, there's someone yes. who made an opposite decision, it can be very triggering. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it's easy to to, and for some people, they succumb to the temptation to then dismiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a profound stuff.
2: People yeah. don't like to see other people succeed when uh, they fear that uh, those people are exercising avenues that they themselves had or have the ability to access but choose not to
3: yes that's which true. and
1: again I, as you said Brennan, everyone's doing their best it's in a money-driven world um
3: late capitalism
1: late capital not even <laughs> that political about it you know it's just it makes it is it is actually like a possibly stupid decision and especially when you're dealing with um controversial corners of twitter for instance um which you know obviously you have knowledge of like there you are you always are like putting yourself a little bit at risk to things that could fuck with like your life um but it's worth it
3: i hope so you yeah, know i, I mean think... i quit i quit a job i quit a very high-paying job you know to to work on projects full-time and everybody's nice. insane Dude, and i mean I'm... i
1: haven't even taken that leap but and I my financial situation. I, I won't. I won't let. I. I I'll just. Uh, I. I admire that. Is what I'm trying to say. I'm not going to be like, oh, that was silly. No, I think that's great. And I have. Well, I mean, it was so a little myself.
3: premature. It was a little premature. I mean, you Sometimes know, my, it's gotta be yeah. my financial situation is not good. You know. uh,
1: Subscribe to I, Tales from the Wall. I have a job <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah.
3: I have a job now that's not as good as the one I had. It doesn't pay as well. It gives me a lot more. You know, it's way less stressful. And like I said, I mean, you make you have to make unconventional choices and live an unconventional life sometimes. You know, I'm not saying yeah. that every That's not a requirement of this vocation. It's not a requirement. In, in fact, if you can balance it, then you're better off. Yeah. Uh, no, I had trouble was, with that.
2: It's true, though. Stressful jobs, they take it out of you. Just last night, I was uh, talking with Matt how... During right after COVID, my industry sector of the legal industry kind of ground to a halt. I had a lot of free time. So I was spending two to three hours a day writing Nutcranker. And I wrote it in about five Green. months. Yeah. And as my industry began to pick up as COVID lifted, I um, you know, the first full week that was like a real, you know, full work week again, I was like, oh this is terrible because yeah, <laughs> well, I suddenly to, I, yeah. I lost the kind of a life that I feel like, you know, best maximized my abilities and talent. And I felt in harmony with, which was like writing two or three hours a day, going on long walks and like making healthy dinners and watching movies. And like, you know, that is not something that you can really maintain while having being yeah lawyer or whatever you are and like so now like i have to choose it's like well you're gonna kind of carve out maybe a little bit of time in the morning to write you're gonna have to you know you can't do this that weekend because you want to write you want to do this or that you want to keep a podcast going you like you have to make all sorts of choices and it becomes a situation where you're robbing peter to pay paul
3: that's true that is true. Um, so, but you, but you had the opportunity to write your book, you know, w- with some downtime.
2: Absolutely, would have nice. been very difficult to do without downtime. Yeah,
3: I and must, how did unfortunately you? Unfortunately, say. It's so, so I mean, you. By the way, you use this like um, that like kind of the Picaresque vernacular, you know, the Picaresque prose style, like. Oh yeah, yeah. The entire it's book,
2: modeled somewhat on the Confederacy of Dunces.
3: I see. I see. And, and did you, and and so would, that was something that you knew when you started you were going to do?
2: No, I, uh, so it's very interesting because like, I kind of wrote and wrote until I found Spencer's voice and then kind of let him, like, I had vague ideas of where I wanted the plot to go, but nothing too concrete. And I let Spencer take me where I, you know, where he wanted to go. And so after finishing it, finishing it, I, uh, I read a, uh, I I don't read the New Yorker often these days because uh, there's not much good in it, but there was an interesting article about Ignatius J. Riley, the main character of a Confederacy of dunces and how he was a sort of proto edge Lord. And so that kind of reawakened my interest in the novel, which I read a a while ago. And so I picked it up again and I started reading it and I realized, Holy shit. Spencer is mm-hmm. just like Ignatius. My pro style is somewhat similar to that of John Kennedy tools. And, uh, and indeed, the thematic content is somewhat similar as well. So I like to think of it as a kind of spiritual heir to a confederacy of dunces. I've done an episode of Art of Darkness with Brad and Kelly on uh, Brad and Kevin Brad Kelly and oh, Kevin Katzman yeah. on uh, John Kennedy tool and to an extent Nutcranker's relationship to a confederacy of dunces um, yeah that was a pod episode of art of darkness and we've done an episode of new right called yeah, on the consolation of right. podcasting one yeah. of our favorites which is about a confederacy of dunces and Nutcranker and outsiders writing uh writing literature and, and tool was an outsider par excellence the guy you know he often killed himself so
3: wow yeah well yeah well it's, <laughs> it's it's uh it's really um like amazing um that it just like it just it hits and keeps on hitting with like the humorous lines and i Thank mean you. just like th- some of the choices that you made like uh I'm trying to think. There was one where, I don't know, like like just even like little things, like when he chooses to call red wine, he calls it vino or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. Alcoholic yeah. vino. Yeah, alcoholic vino. That was one of my favorite parts. <laughs> like like um, like
2: there's unalcoholic vino. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
3: It was uh yeah, it was good. It was really good. And so, what an accomplishment!
2: Thank you, man. Um, I'm I'm happy you enjoyed it.
3: I would like to write a book, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe this year, maybe not.
2: Yeah, no. I bet uh, you have it in you. You like, I mean, the the isolation chamber was awesome, and like the humor. Like, I was laughing out loud at the beginning, where like uh, the one of the voices um i I forget which one exactly but was calling you a pig man and you're like i'm not a pig i'm a man (laughs) yeah and and, like that refrain was just so so hilarious yeah it uh and like a lot of like mutants like goon moments like the i'm gonna stick my hand up your ass (laughs) it's uh very very mutant
3: well i'm glad you liked it i i hope that people will listen to it um it's out there it's on you know it's on apple and spotify you just type in the isolation chamber so
2: that's right yeah, we'll amazing wait. episode we'll art too like you type it in and uh there is like brendan looking like he's about <laughs> to go into an isolation chamber um, yeah a little a little nervous maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah look at it yeah now. that
3: that that was art that i commissioned from a really talented guy named um, sam spano was oh a, yeah, and a, he was
2: on the the pod as well. He was on, yeah, and uh, he
3: did voices on the pod. So and he was on Tales from the Mall a couple times. So he's nice. a good guy. I like him. Yeah, definitely. I listen. I listened to your guys' um episode about Entourage.
1: Yes,
2: thank you. Yeah, that
3: was man. That was uh, I, I I you guys you guys characterized it properly. You know, it's not well. First of all, I I do. My, my last watch of it I, I it struck me that the comedy writing is is actually really really good it's it a is. great yeah, comedy well
1: written and well strong, yeah. yeah
3: I didn't think of it as a comedy when I first watched it <laughs> I, I really didn't I thought wow this is like really in- an interesting <laughs> like slice of like life on in I, LA, yeah 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 and uh, I mean I mean of course I was laughing at like Ari in particular the first time but yeah now the true. Comic genius of the show is drama. It, I mean, oh yeah, 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 yeah. oh hilarious. yeah, for sure. And you know what? I just saw. I live right by this comedy club called the Tempe Improv, mm-hmm. and in April, this I guess as it turns out, the guy who created the the show and Kevin Connolly and Kevin Dillon do a podcast oh, called really? Victory. Called the Victory Podcast, and ah. they're going to be doing it live at the Tempe Improv, and I think I might actually go.
2: Yeah, I would. You should definitely do that, and yeah. like make it, uh, make it a Tales from the Mall episode.
3: That would be cool. I would yeah. love to meet. In particular, I would love to meet Kevin Dillon. Uh, my favorite moment in the whole show is when um, uh, Aquaman has just come out. They go and see it at some multiplex in the valley instead of like, right. you yeah. know, I don't know what, I can't remember their rationale, like just kind power of, like outage, the peop- I believe. Yeah. Well, well, the, the power does go out while they're seeing the film because there's like rolling blackouts, but while yeah. they're in the theater and drama like, he's being dramatic. And like wearing a towel over his head because it's so hot in the valley or whatever. And some guy gets up at the end of their row and has to use the bathroom and is walking down the line past Turtle, past Vincent or whatever. And he gets to drama and drama's just sitting there with the towel draped over him. Like he's got a hood, like an Emperor Palpatine hood. And he goes, Hold it. And the guy sits back down. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, no, I'd funny. That's a
1: a great episode. I also remember, uh, because I live in Southern California, I know exactly where that theater was. I believe it shut down during the pandemic.
3: Did you grow up in the Valley?
1: I I certainly didn't. I grew up on the East Coast, but I've been here like five years and it's kind of gotten under my skin where like I can effectively pretend to be local if I want. (laughs) And and because I live in the Valley as opposed to like West Hollywood or something. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But my, yeah, well, I'm, no, I'm my family's
3: from you. Northern California.
1: Right, I knew that from your pod. Yeah. Um yeah, no, I remember that episode where you talked no, nah, not even to get into it, but maybe a little teaser for Chelsea Mall that story how like trying to find your aunt's house to piss or whatever. And oh yeah,
3: and I pissed my pants, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was I, I thought I would yeah. when that happened, I thought that I could never tell a soul that it happened. Yeah that the, that, you, that, that it was the worst yeah that was was your rock bottom right yeah that it was the lowest moment of my life and you know now i tell anybody that'll listen but
1: yeah yeah so this yeah the story is basically what that you uh you you pulled off the freeway and you're just trying to remember where your answer yes (laughs) sorry i'm just reiterating it now but yeah it's pretty pretty damn funny
3: well yeah it it just got to the point where i couldn't make any decisions because i just had to pee so badly so i've
1: got i've been like halfway there myself honestly i know i can can understand how it can happen
2: you yes. get so drunk that you almost forget to take your pants off. That uh, that has happened to me once or twice where I'm just like, oh shit, a guy pulled my, my pants down or I'm gonna piss in them.
1: I <laughs> uh, just well, want to say on this though, that um this uh I usually don't like to promote podcasts outside of our podcast sphere, but this this entourage podcast looks incredible. Um that they it's basically, yeah, as you said, it's um Doug Allen, who's the creator, Kevin Dillon. and um what's his name? No, yeah, Kevin. Doug Allen and Kevin Dillon. I guess maybe Kevin Connolly's coming on too. Uh, but they they just talk about each episode. I'm gonna have to to listen. I it, they seem like smart guys. They seem like they know that there's a hunger for this kind of um revisit like this type of podcast that kind of revisits cultural the, uh,
2: the golden episodes. age of white boy summer, Matt. Exactly. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, you know, you were describing Dan that you were watching it in the at the college dorm at Yeah, uh, yeah. During One the, the more... golden
2: age of white boys,
3: yeah, uh, that was me too. I, I think we're probably right around the same age.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I remember like after nights out of like striking out and not getting laid, going back with my bros and we'd watch Entourage, yeah. and it was like, kind of like, oh, well, if you're not getting pussy, it's pretty good, yeah, <laughs> on DVD, <laughs> on DVD, yes,
3: yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, it's it, a good show.
2: Uh, yeah. No, no it's, uh... it's iconic of an era,
3: and I love all the. And I mean, they they do a great job with cameos from people that are well known. You know, James oh, yeah. Cameron's on there, but people that are like kind of like only like true film nerds and TV nerds would know. Like, they have this guy that I'm obsessed with on there, who actually directs the show that Johnny Drama's on, uh, Five Towns, I believe it's called. Um, yeah, Edward Burns. That's right. Oh yeah. I know. Yeah. I uh, he's on there and, uh, Ralph Macchio's on there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um,
1: uh, there's an interesting Kanye, uh, cameo. I remember. Oh too. yeah. I like any of, um, he like flies them, but he looks, it's like, Holy shit. Oh, it yeah. It's like from the, uh, graduation era.
3: I see. I see. Um,
1: yeah, no, the cameos are, I mean, there's a lot of shows that have kind of stupid cameos where it's like, Oh, okay. See what you did with, with entourage. It's so organic to, to where they are that, um, Yeah, I mean, it just encapsulates the era so well. I think the point we were trying to make, you know, there's there's a lot of people who like find found the show very annoying at the time because they're a lot of them are douchebags and like, no doubt. But I think it's aged probably well. Like I I didn't I wasn't watching when it came out, but I could see even someone who may have not liked it then. I mean, I think that it really has something to offer.
3: Well, I think I think that people are more open to the way that they're behaving because people aren't going to act that way now. Exactly. You know where you don't well, have to like deal with, with these cheese. fucking, like, such the a, fucking a, Bobby yeah. bottle service guys. You know, at you know the the Ed Hardy crew. You know, like they don't exist yeah. anymore. You know, and yeah. so it's we got a little um, critical distance on it. Um, yeah, I definitely feel that way. I don't think I would. I don't think I would like thrive in hanging out with Vinny Chase and his crew. Really. No. no. You know. No, I mean, yeah. But. But. They do give you a little bit of, you know, they they are a little bit of. Um, they can act as totems of. I'm definitely a John. I'm definitely a Johnny drama myself. I don't know. About
1: <laughs> <that>. <laughs> like how you be in Sex and the City girls or whatever, you can ever yeah, give yourself to someone.
3: Well, um, what else you got?
1: Hmm.
3: I know we've been going for like two hours.
1: Yeah, a couple hours. You could probably. Go a little, little, I have to, I have to think. Well, I have another one. How about we uh yeah.
2: talk about bringing it home a little bit with Tales from the Mall? What is the next step there? Because <laughs> I noticed we you go online, they um, except for the Halloween episode, most of them are paywalled now. So I think like probably the plan going forward is like you know, gotta pay to play, but yeah. you should pay to play because it's a good series, yeah.
3: Well, yeah, you you gotta pay to play, and that's not. My my feeling was that I didn't want to make any of them pay to play. Like, in fact, by the by the, you know, at the end of last year, I was making them all free for a month until I pay, paywalled them. I didn't do any episodes that were because I thought it's too important for people not to hear. OK, yeah, That was my thought yeah. was that I need everybody to be able to hear it if they want to and they should want to, because what it is is it's an atmosphere it's a it's a completely just like open atmosphere to hear the personalities of people that you've always wondered about people that you never heard of and it's very like life affirming st- stuff yeah um but but now you know i mean i think it was a you know it's it's a little more stressful when when you feel like you're kind of in competition with all these other podcasts that are out there and You know, you're trying to get you're trying to get as many people to listen as possible and you want all this juice and and you're thinking about guests of who's got the juice and 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 I think that's there's a place for that. I just didn't I was getting too stressed out about it. And now it's like, well, I had a lot of people already paying to subscribe and I thought those people should be rewarded with the content and and they want to hear it. They're the ones that really want to hear it anyway. And so it's focused my Mm -hmm. thinking. I do it once a week now instead of twice a week. That was a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. But, I'm that. St- but yeah. that doesn't mean that I'm not contemplating who the best guests would be. I mean, we've had some amazing guests re- really recently. Like I said, Martina Martinez, Tom Will, um, this guy, uh, Bill, who is the books editor for Apocalypse Confidential. We did an in-person episode at the St. Louis Galleria. In yeah. Sweet, yeah uh petra court right who's a great artist um this um this woman amanda fortini who's written a lot about uh who's written a lot about um the las vegas shooting she writes about las vegas she writes for the new yorker the new york times various Mm -hmm. publications really interesting lady um and so it's going to be a balance between people that are that I'm close to that you might be familiar with if you hang out a lot on Twitter and then maybe some new voices who are up to art writing, that kind of thing. Um, But if you subscribe good, you, you, you will be rewarded uh, because I, you know, I, I keep the, I keep the content flowing and, and I, and I just did a piece of writing actually for my Patreon that I did for free. um, That that's, you know, that's about, um, the fashion square mall in scottsdale arizona nice. um that i also nice. that i also recorded the piece as well so yeah. you can listen to it you can read it and i'm going to do more stuff like that as well so
1: yeah you gotta have a little bit of free stuff to get people in and then yeah do you want to speak to yeah? You know, what, what are the like tiers of uh of subscription or are you well there's, there's
3: really three? only two there's there's the five dollars a month which basically that just gets you access to the new episodes plus like i said like 90 some episodes archived on on the uh with with a wide range of people that that you that you may be familiar with like like i said delicious tacos but also you know uh barrett from contain jack the perfume nationalist yeah uh all kinds of crazy people crazy characters yeah uh and then um And then there's a $20 a month level, which is really exists. If you just, uh, really want to pay my rent and you really love (laughs) me and I can't see why you wouldn't. But with that, you get some, you know, I'll, I'll mail you some free artwork that I've done because I'm also a visual artist. So.
2: Right. Yeah. You do some good artwork by the way. I think I just retweeted something
1: this morning. Look, I retweeted the Pat Riley picture.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I'm working on Pat Riley right now and I'm going to give these pieces away to jacob to guys, because yeah. the pat riley memes uh flow he- heavily in the apocalypse confidential chat yeah he's
1: a memeable
2: guy for sure yeah, yeah. So. so who is up next on tales from the mall
3: well it depends on when this comes out because on monday is going to be amanda fortini nice gotcha. and then the following because i'm doing them every monday so then the following monday will be bill the books editor that will be the in-person episode that we did um, nice. at the St. Louis Gallery. So Tales from the Mall oh. on the road, which yeah. I want to do more of that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, some... I, not to, again, pimp myself out, as you in this case, but even um, when you're in SoCal again, let's, let's do it. There's oh, so that would moms. be great. But, yeah. I, I, you know, I wouldn't I don't assume, you know, uh, that I, I, you mentioned like who has the juice. I don't know if I have the juice. But like, uh, but I would love to. You know, I'm, all I'm saying is I'm. I'd be more than willing to to do a Tales from the Mall here. That's what I. At some point, we yeah. could. You guys uh, got the, the, juice, the new okay? right episode. You guys both got both of us. Numbers. Yeah.
3: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do you each individually. That's that's how I. Oh, that's it. Yeah, no, no, a little too. more individual, right? Yeah. Did, that know. Halloween special, you know, that was that was, uh, you know, the. I, I'd done another special with Blauer Geist and Newton, but usually it's a one-on-one. You know, I got you know, I really like to sink my teeth in, you know, with the one-on-one. Yeah, um that works too. And then there's gonna be one uh at following the one with Bill with my friend Robbie who's been on the show a number of times and he's rebranded himself as Stern Fan Robbie and I'm going to get his David I'm going to we're going to do a deep dive into into the Howard Stern. Oh, Howard and, Stern. Okay. I don't yeah. know.
1: NBA NBA's on the brand. <laughs> but yeah.
3: Well, well, we could also talk about David Stern probably, yeah, you know. Yeah. And see. Are you a Suns he... fan? I was going to ask this <laughs> Uh well, you know, I'm I'm more inclined to be a Suns fan now um but they uh they got oh, KD, yeah, but yeah. uh but mm. my parents are Warriors fans. And I kind of, yeah. and I kind of went along with that for a while. I don't, I'm not that crazy about the Warriors. It was not a big thing growing up because they sucked. Yeah right. Uh, I was a my first professional sports experience was at Arco Arena where I saw the Kings because I was born oh. in Sacramento, and so Jeez. I liked the Kings a lot, and I liked them even better when they were like really like. They were really they fucking were good. Really good, and they were playing the Lakers. Unfortunately, you know. In oh, the I, I'm Robinson. very
1: familiar with this. Um, we might on when we do a Tales from the moment we should go more in depth because I actually have thoughts and feelings on this. The 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 greatest tragedy in sports history. Yes. So like 2001 was it?
3: I believe so. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, all yeah. th- those teams were great. I mean, the, the players on. But I haven't followed the Kings in a long time. I tried to get back into them. They really sucked. I think better they, now. Yeah. They had de- at one point they had like DeMarcus Cousins and. Uh, but, you know, that was me. Now that now I mean, we're talking about 10, 12 years ago. So I, I, I don't follow the NBA that closely. I'm more I don't more either. Football but, um,
1: yeah, I mean, we can maybe we can talk more about the Kings on a few. I don't want to derail. I have to <laughs> go before too long. But yeah, there's a, it's they're an interesting franchise for sure. And I, I don't follow the NBA super closely, but I was thinking about becoming like initiated into becoming a Kings fan because like I live in L.A., but I'm not going to support the Lakers. So the California team. Uh, but they've always been interesting. Yeah, with that famous case where there, there's a for listeners who don't know, which is probably a lot of our listeners. I don't think we have a ton of sports fans. Sports uh, ball, sports ball. <laughs> uh, there's just a famous case where, like, uh, basically, it's not even a conspiracy theory. There was a rigged NBA conference finals where the Lakers were. Uh, <laughs> maybe some people contest this, but basically, where the referees handed a uh, conference title to the Lakers over the Kings. Oh wow.
3: I, I haven't change.
2: even heard of that. That's uh, that's crazy. Well, yeah, the but, Kings are
3: like the ultimate small market team in the NBA. Like, yeah, Sacramento. Sacramento. Who gives a shit?
1: Yeah.
2: But anyway, maybe back a, to, yeah, oh, go on. Go on.
1: Dan, yeah, sorry. <laughs> say-
2: uh, well, is there maybe a conservative-liberal divide there? Because Sacramento, I think, of being a more uh, you know conservative area in California to the extent California has them, which I believe is actually to a significant. Oh yeah, sense. yeah. I definitely central valley. Yeah. Well,
3: yeah. it's like California used to be like kind of like it was thought of as like kind of a the intellectual headquarters of modern oh, conservatism. Yeah. Like, well, I mean,
2: you still have the Claremont State Institute. In Cal-
1: yeah. And, and Reagan and, and um, Nixon. Nixon close, you know? from yeah. Orange County. Yeah.
3: Nixon so really is the, the only California president we've ever had. I mean, Reagan was from the Midwest, you know?
1: Yeah. No, 100%. I talk about this a lot on my show. Nixon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard you talk about this on I American. like Nixon. Oh, I do, yeah, too. same. I think I'm, a, I'm a big Nixon fan. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: but to uh, bring it back to what we are talking about, we'll probably post this about, a, like, on... Um, like later this week, basically, like, you know, like Thursday, Friday. So the Fortini episode should be out. And the mm-hmm. Bill, the Bill, what was it? Bill, the fiction editor? No, Bill. Yeah, the, Bill. Uh, yeah,
3: Will, Will, William, Will, his Will Waltz. He's on Twitter, Bill. Uh, and uh, he's, he's our books editor. Yeah, Bill, the books editor. And I, editor, so and I just like visited father, him. Yeah. I just visited him in St. It's Louis. Like, yeah. I happen to have lived there for a few years myself. Oh, wow. And oh. so we, uh, we, we. I mean, we tore it up. Like we we went all over the place, but we did an in person episode at a mall, St. Louis yeah. Galleria. Nice. And we talk about all sorts of things. We talk about yeah, you know, a lot of you know what the artistic process, and you know um, the the role of an editor. You know, well, in in editing fiction and writing, um, we talk about Apocalypse Confidential. We talk mm-hmm. about David Cronenberg. Uh, okay. It's it's a great episode. So people should subscribe they can listen to the Amanda Fortini episode, a brilliant woman who uh, it's like a three hour episode. And then, and then they'll be subscribed. They can go back and listen to the entire archive and then they can be ready for when the in-person bill episode drops.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone should subscribe to tales from the mall because there's there just go. an incredible backlog of amazing episodes with guests who are, you know, interesting and often hilarious people martina amazing actress and personality mutant just like what more can you say about howling mutant that he hasn't said many times you can get Uh,
3: there are there uh i believe there are four different episodes upon on which mutant appears
2: very cool he's he's tied
3: with the most frequent Uh, him and jacob are on there four times four different times both together and separate
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's like, there are pods that you listen to just to like to stay abreast of whatever's going on. And then there are pods that you enjoy. And like, I enjoy Tales from the Mall. It's like, it's fun to listen to. And everyone should subscribe.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
3: Thank you, guys. Yeah.
1: Well, I feel like we could probably have gone like another whole hour. I feel like there's so many topics we could delve into, but. I gotta I gotta bounce in a second here. Um, but we should have you back on, or I guess we will maybe do some pause with you, hopefully, for Tales from the Mall, and let's continue talking about some of this stuff because really enjoyed having you on, Brent. Absolutely. You.
3: I, this is a great pleasure. I admire you guys both, and I admire I'm a big fan of the show. So keep oh, doing it. We'll,
2: Thanks. we'll do. Uh thank you for coming on, Brent. My pleasure. All right. All right.
0: Stop recording there.